Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brava Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I am so pumped that we get the privilege of talking about these five fine episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, no, it really is. You know, uh, I mean, no one's paying us to do this and no one's listening to it, but also no one said we couldn't do it. That's right. So in that sense, it is kind of a privilege. We've received no letters not one season desist. And I that's a tacit uh I think that's tacit commissioning of this work. Actually. That's right. So we're doing this for the creators of Star Trek. This and is for you, Gene. A, I found a letter in Gene's personal effects that said, Please let any nerds that don't like the show do a podcast. <laughs> if you see a couple of nerds talking shit about me, just let them do their thing. That's what Gene sounded like, right? Probably. Okay. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard him speak, and I'm not chasing that down. What about Gene Jr.? No, I didn't watch that thing. What was Gene Jr.'s real name? Uh, I don't know. I know he was mad jealous of Will Wheaton. <laughs> that's the worst, that's the worst thing that you could admit about yourself in life. <laughs> God, I'm so jealous of Will Wheaton. Yeah, because Gene Roddenberry treated him like his son uh, during the first few seasons of TNG. All the time Wesley was trying to get out. Will Wheaton yeah. was trying to get off the show and have a movie career or whatever. All and right. Was like, Will, my young son. Okay, here's how this podcast works. We did this uh, two weeks ago with all the episodes from week 70. Yeah. And we ended up with an order uh-huh. of best to worst. And we're going to talk about them in the opposite order this week. For week seven, for number 71 of this project. For number 71. What episode number is this? One. 173? Uh, it is also episode number 71. No, no, no. I mean, oh, like, uh, sorry. Of, of the, the podcast. Of the dumb podcast? Yeah, it's, I think it's 173. Yeah. All right, everybody. How about that? Doing a lot of work out here. <laughs> sorry, it's 163. Okay. You jumped us 10 ahead. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter. It, None of this it doesn't matter in the least. Um, last week's uh, last place finisher was uh, the original Star Trek. Uh, for the great episode, let that be your last battlefield. Is yeah. that right? Yep. Yeah, I gave it a zero on a lot. So yeah, this week we watched the Mark of Gideon. Enterprise is orbiting the planet Gideon, uh, a planet which is apparently some ways along. In its admission for membership to the Federation, despite the fact that they have never allowed a Federation delegation or even single representative onto their soil. Mm. They've just submitted a lot of great reports about how great the planet Gideon is. No one needs to check. That doesn't matter. But 
they have allowed for the first time ever someone to beam down as long as that someone is Captain Kirk and no one knows why. Yep, specifically the captain of the Enterprise is what they ask for. Yep. So, uh, Kirk goes to the transporter room. Spock is operating the trans the transporter and for maybe the first time ever, he reads the specific transporter coordinates he's going to beam him to out loud. Yep. And he beams him down, but all of a sudden Kirk beams back in? In an empty transporter room? Yeah, he does a thing where he's real mad at Spock. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, hey Spock, uh, why did you why did you leave? You man? didn't finish your job, idiot. The real Commander Riker yes. about this, where Picard has to tell him to be on the bridge. Right. Um so Kirk goes to the bridge. That's empty too. He can't get anyone on the intercom, and he walks around the ship narrating. The whole crew is gone. He thinks that he has suffered a memory lapse during which he bruised his arm. He's really worried about that bruised arm. He, he talks about it a few times. A few occasions. Yeah. Um, but whatever suspense there is about the crew being missing, uh, forget about it because immediately we see the real bridge, which everybody is on but Kirk, and Spock gets a call from the planet, and their ambassador wants to know... Hold on, I've forgotten the ambassador's name. Hoden? Uh, Kivas Fajo. He's like, okay. what happened to your your android, is what he right. says. He, he calls up and he's like... Where's your Where's your captain? Yeah, and uh, Spock says, "Well, we beamed him down," and uh, he said, "No, nope, you were trying to beam him to this room, so you you didn't." He ain't here. But also, uh, no, Spock, you can't come down and look for him. Oh uh, yeah, which I forgot how much of this episode is the weird negotiation between Spock right. and this dude. Which sucks that they won't let him come down and look for Captain Kirk. But like, was that his plan? <laughs> was he gonna beam down to, and then like? just walk in a spiral until he found Kirk. He does say that he wants to do a search, a manned search on the planet. So I guess, yeah, yeah his plan is to walk around. Uh, they can't scan the planet. These guys have a shield that won't let them scan the planet. That's another thing that's super weird about their application for membership. So, uh, Spock has to call the Federation to see if the fucking diplomats can arrange something. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, all he can do is scan open space, which everyone knows is not useful. Yeah. Uh, back on the fake Enterprise, Kirk runs into a woman named Adona dancing around in the corridors. How, what's her clothes situation? Uh, weird. <laughs> weird, and maybe like she's got a like a underpants on the outside of her outfit. Yeah, it is underpants on the. It wasn't like sideless or anything. No. So. Just, you know, general space weirdo clothes. Okay. Uh, she claims not to know who brought her there, and but she is in love with all this open space and these empty gray corridors. Yeah. Uh, Spock gets more and more frustrated with Federation bureaucracy for like the next, I'm going to say, 30 minutes. There's a lot. There's just a just lot. Every time we check in, it's just the Federation's telling him no. And him trying to communicate with the ambassador and like, having like the very gradual uh progress is made where he maybe gets the guy to admit he said one thing that he said he didn't say earlier and you're just like nah man. he never gets him to admit it it's <laughs> fine like man this is the whole episode he's just gonna go back and forth with this guy uh kirk takes odona back to the bridge to check a, a clock and he discovers that nine minutes are missing from his memory mm. now he only looks at one clock so i don't know where he gets the number of nine minutes 
Yeah, did he look at the clock or like right before he beamed out? He's not like comparing his watch to the clock or Yeah, but even even if he had looked at the clock right before he beamed out, he's been fucking around looking for people and making calls for like the last hour. Yeah, also maybe that clock's wrong. Could be. Yeah. We know it can run backwards. Yeah, that's right. Um <sighs> One frustrating thing is that this woman doesn't know what Gideon is. She claims not to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he tries to show her, and the view screen is just showing blank space now, yeah. and Kirk doesn't know where they are, he can't, the ship never is responsive in any way. Yeah, he pushes the buttons, but nothing happens. Right. Uh, yeah, so, Spock is having these frustrating conversations, like, this guy will get on the phone with him and be like, we looked, he's not here. So you don't ever have to come here, ever. So... I don't know. Try something else. Try looking anywhere but here. And he's doing... Like, this episode is supposed to make you maybe not think good about diplomats for the first, I don't know, half an hour or so. Well, especially if you listen to Spock. No one on the bridge can stop from piping up. And then this guy is putting on a big show of pretending not to have heard and understand them. (laughs) Yes, it's true. They all very loudly talk while the view screen is on, and the guy's like, ah, it sounds like you got some uh, interference over there. He's a very unlikable, very polite person. Yes. This ambassador. Uh, But we, he finally convinces him, he pretends they've fixed the transporter in in another obvious ruse. Yeah. And so the ambassador agrees that they'll let somebody beam up to test the transporter, but still no one can beam down. Mm -hmm. And for our benefit, when the guy gives the coordinates to beam up from, we hear that they're different. Yep. Instead of an 079 at the end, it switches to a a 709. Right. So now we know that they're intentionally doing a a thing. Yes, but it is unclear whether Spock knows. But yes, Spock does. No one reacts to this. Even though at home, I was like, oh, I see what they did. I mean, again, super suspicious when they read the coordinates out loud. Yep, I made they, sure to take note because I knew it would be they weird. They read them a couple of times. I for sure wrote them down. Yep. And then later when it they said it again, I was like, ah, got it. Yeah. Kirk uh, on the ship has gotten just about far enough to begin to wonder if the ship he's on is fake. Uh-huh. Because there's no engine sounds or something. Um, but he gets sidetracked by a conversation with Adona about how her people can never be alone because they have such terrible overcrowding that everybody has to stand up all the time or something. They're nice and, enough to uh, show us that later in the episode. And also maybe they can't die. She kind of hints that maybe they maybe they can never die. Yep, they seem to have done a couple of things. One, they've managed to create a planet with enough resources for everyone, and they have also managed to beat death. Yeah, and then they have I don't know if we're gonna, if you're going to talk about this religious issues when it comes to birth control. Oh, we will talk okay, about it. Okay, so yeah. they just they have um, they're loading up that planet or something fierce with dudes. And yeah, so at this point. She tells him about her horrible situation, and uh, of course they do some kissing. Like, that does it for Kirk, I guess. Yeah. He's really like, tell me more about your sadness. how every square meter of your planet is covered with people. Oh, you see, you guys are just knee to knee and elbow to elbow, huh? huh? Okay. And for some reason, while they're kissing, 
we see a bunch of hooded perverts watching through the view screen. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's a real Gorgon situation. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It doesn't make any sense why they would suddenly be visible. Yep. But they are. Uh, I guess Kirk's walking her all around the ship, maybe trying to find a place where she seems horniest. It's not clear what his plan is. Yeah. But they... Uh, Look, they dude, go no, no, to... no, no, wait. I figured it out, finally. He is suspecting that this is a fake Enterprise, and he's going to walk around to every room in the ship because he's he's like, there's no way they're going to bother to perfectly recreate the yeah. fucking sewage area or whatever. Anyway, at some point they hear some thumping from outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, Kirk has been explaining to her about wounds and healing, so th- definitely these people don't get sick. Yeah they're, yeah, they're not sick or injured, it seems like. So Kirk says, okay, we'll go to the one window on the ship that looks out into space. and But you don't get to look out at all the time because it's behind a a weird trap door. Okay. And when he opens it, instead of space, more hooded perverts. Yeah, just walking around. And then a second later, future imperfect style, space appears again. But, uh... Now Kirk thinks he's got this all worked out. Also, he thinks that the thudding he was hearing was the heartbeats of all of the people pressed against the ship. Yeah. I don't know why they were all thudding at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's another theory, but yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's got some interesting theories. Uh, now Adona gets real sick. She's excited about it, and she tells him now there will finally be sickness and death on her world. Yeah. So Kirk's like... Uh, not if I have anything to say about it, and starts to take her to sick bay to do... Frankly, I wish I could see what he was planning to do. He was going to put her legs up and make her do the bicycling thing on her back, <laughs> you know. I don't know, this is what I do when I'm here. Yeah, that's what, he's always, that's what McCoy has him do every time he shows up. But he's stopped by this ambassador guy who thanks him for his role in all of this and reveals that Odona is his daughter mm-hmm. and puts Kirk under guard and takes her away to die. At this point, Spock reveals that he has worked out the coordinate swap on the bridge. And he tries to convince some admiral to let him beam down. And the admiral uh, passes the buck. Tells him to contact. To the the Federation. The Bureau of Planetary Treaties. Right. Has told him, work it out with Starfleet, that you got a Starfleet problem. Mm -hmm. So Spock's like, well, let's just break some orders. Let's just violate some orders. Yeah. And so he's getting ready to beam down and look for Kirk. Uh, There's a scene where these two people from Gideon talk about what it's like to feel pain. And he tells Kirk how desperate they are and they picked him for this illness, etc. Yeah, Kirk used to have a meningitis and I guess he still carries it enough to to pass it along. And this is uh, is a scene where Kirk proposes uh, three or four things that they could maybe have done. Yes. With their population problem. And as you and as you said, the guy waves it off and he says, "Yeah, but we're pretty religious." So, <laughs> yep. what I, my plan is is to just introduce a virus that kills a bunch of people. I got a real Thanos plan. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna Thanos it. <laughs> you know him. Uh, we love all life. We love it so much. It's a gift from the universe or the creator or whatever. So we can't wrap it up, but we do. We can for sure kill. A bu- just a bunch of people. We do definitely have to kill a certain percentage of our population so that right. we can like walk around maybe three or four to a room instead of a hundred. 
And what's great about this scene, one thing that I've really liked in this scene is Kirk also tells him, no, there's like, I, I there's like 50 or 60 other solutions. Yep. Like you're just, this is, we don't have to stop right here. Like I told you a couple of things you could do. Yeah. Let's just put our heads together. Like let's work it out. It's, anyway, not interested. Yeah. Uh, Spock uses his tricorder, tries to scan for Kirk. It eventually shows up and uh, because he can contact the Enterprise, he and Kirk and the unconscious <laughs> Odona beam up and McCoy cures her immediately. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then she has a little talk with Kirk about how she is still a carrier of the disease and she's just going to go back and give her blood to kill her people. And Kirk's like, well, I've done enough. He's like, as long as you're alive. Yeah. I don't really care. I don't know those other people. I don't care what happens to them. They don't even do a laughs on the bridge ending. No. Nope. So. The Mark of Gideon. Yeah, I know what it's about. You were going to ask me what it's about, right? Yeah, what is it about? Uh, hey, overpopulation is going to be a real problem someday, I guess. I had something about diplomacy and patience being a waste of time because Spock keeps saying it, but I'll just go with what the actual plot was about this time. Aside from panicking us, I don't know what was supposed to happen with that. What do I do with it's that? A, it's, a, it's a very good question. It's a three for me. Um, Ben thinks that this is that they're taking a shot at uh, backward views of unsophisticated religious people mm. and how they cause misery, and he thinks that's lousy, and he gave it a one. It is definitely a cautionary tale about overpopulation. Yeah, like you, I'm not sure that they actually reach a take. Yeah. The, so this planet, the people of Gideon, they have tried nothing so far, and it's not working. Yes, exactly. There's, so far, the solution has been nothing. And Kirk tells them, look, there's about a thousand things you can do here. But at the end, he just sends her back to kill all her people. Yeah, he fucks off. Hands of it. Yeah. He doesn't care. Again, once he saves her, he's only worried about her. And once she's safe, he's like, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah, he didn't want to kill anybody with his blood, but if she kills a bunch of people, shit. They're not even in the Federation, so who cares? I think this one probably got watered down by the higher-ups. Could be. There's so much specific stuff in here, and like Kirk tells them, hey, um, well, first he's like, well, could you could sterilize your people. And the guy doesn't even say, no, nah, we, we definitely wouldn't do that. He says, well, that everything would just grow back. <laughs> What do you mean, sir? Sir, can you explain what you mean? What Hold do you on. mean? Hang on a minute. Like, I know you guys don't, there's no germs on your planet and you live a really long time. But if, uh, like, what if you just did the most basic version and cut someone's nuts off? Would they for sure grow back? <laughs> it's just like, how do you, hey, how do you know that? <laughs> yeah, we know you haven't done anything to stop this. So how do you know? Oh, ev- everyone is so invulnerable on this planet that we don't have OSHA. So there are a lot of industrial accidents. <laughs> we right. we know for sure that if someone's nuts come off, they grow back. What about a daily treatment? If everything's going to grow back, take a pill every day that sterilizes yeah. you or something. He's a, well, anyway, there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of methods to prevent conception. And the guy's like, listen, buddy, we've already figured it out. No. Stop trying to make it more complicated. We've Listen, already I have, got it. 
Listen, we, we built that fake Enterprise. It took years. <laughs> everybody had to stand three inches closer to everybody else to make room. That's right. This is the plan we're doing. Man, how did this... I don't want that Enterprise to be a monument to my inability to think of a better plan. I got so many questions about these people. I don't even know where to introduce them. Like, if those people, I seen them, they're just walking around in a room all day. Like, how do they even fuck? Bro, how it's do you a very guys good fuck? Point. Listen, just in front of everybody. I guess. I just How do they How do they fall in love? How did this guy raise his like, okay. Was he elected? I don't know. How do you do anything? Is he one of the 10 people that don't have to shuffle around in the room? I don't know how you hold an election. How do you organize society? How do you do anything? Yeah. I don't know. How do you feed the people? I don't know how any of this like, works. Like, is there there's room to grow crops, but no one can lie down? I mean, maybe this was maybe the initial uh, end of this episode was that it was a, a futuristic robot that was in charge of their society. Yeah, as has yeah, happened probably. fourteen times before. Ah, uh, then Kirk would have been able to talk it down. That's right. And then they went, "No, nah, I think we've done that one. Let's do a different one." And then they went, "Well, how do we end it?" And they went, "I don't know. We don't. Who cares? This whole show is going to be over soon. We don't end it." Anyway, uh, I gave it three points also because I thought that they were that they definitely they hit all of the talking points you would hit mm-hmm. if you were doing a big exaggerated sci-fi overpopulation story. Oh yeah, and I think probably someone said, uh, "Hey, listen, Catholics and stuff watch this show, so <laughs> we can't have the solution be wear a rubber." That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I um, and about Ben's take, I just I wonder if they would even consciously attack religion when they have been uh, so uh, religiously well, all, forward. Matthew, they might try to make fun of it, but it wouldn't be possible. It's right; we already know you can't. You can't be done. You can't make fun of Christians. We learned that in that one episode. God, they were so happy that they were going to get to see Christianity blossom on this planet just like it did in the rest of the galaxy (laughs) when did it reach vulcan hey bro they aren't talking about the sun they're talking about the son of god um listen i'm i'm very happy that the numbers are bearing out that this is not the best of the star (laughs) treks because I, I knew about that sun sun pun oh. from the last time I watched this. That has been in my mind since we started this. Like, hey, there's going to be some... some you're going to say shit. woof a few times in this show. This is sort of... This is not even one of those. Like, no, no. definitely when you see everyone shuffling around in their bodysuits behind the windows, you're like, this is what I remember Star Trek being. <laughs> yes. This is what they considered dark sci-fi in the 60s. But it's no worse than... I mean, basically, it's a Twilight Zone scene uh-huh. that got stuck into a Star Trek episode, right? And like I said, they didn't come up with an ending. They just didn't. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. The, the problem with this episode is they don't actually have anything to say about it. They just wanted to remind you that it was there. Anyway, this was written by the guy who played Cyrano Jones. You know, the guy who sells the Tribbles. They let him write things? Yeah, he w- uh, overpopulation was his big deal. Oh. And uh, Man, it's apparently, so weird. And apparently, the deal is that uh obviously he's not a television writer and it got some big rewrites yeah and when it hit the screen his family was not pleased with what had happened to it dude isn't that such an insane paranoia to have when you live in the united states in the 1960s it's just a country Uh, full of a wide open land so the answer is yes and no right Uh, yes for sure like if you've ever driven 
from one city to another city in the United States. There's nothing there. There's, there is nothing there, yeah. for sure. Um, Katie was in the largest city in China recently, mm. which is not one of the famous ones. It's like Chung, Chongqing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Th- it's 33 million people. Oh, yeah. That's most of California. Yep. In one city. So, yes, living in the United States, having a deep personal fear about overpopulation is strange, which means it must be a kind of intellectual and altruistic passion, right? Like, hey, this is probably the place where it's going to hit the like Long after I'm dead, this will be a problem. Right. But um, then the other flip side of that is that uh, fertilizers and other agricultural technology have come a long, long way since the 60s. And in the 60s, it would not have been possible to support the population that the Earth has now. Right. So when you see like, oh, that was doom and gloom, nothing came out of that. Well, it's because a lot of stuff is different now than than well, existed. Then. Good, that's what I would hope. If there was this great fear of overpopulation, someone should be yeah. working on stuff. Yeah, that was the plan. <laughs> what about uh, what about execution on this one? I, we talked about a lot of it already, but yeah. So, but yeah. So this is as much a boiling down of a sophisticated idea into a easy TV premise as the Sharon's were last week yeah. about racism. Um, and, and they make no attempt to make it seem more plausible than that. Right. They yep. just assert everyone, no one can die and they're, everyone lives forever and there's no disease. Yep. And they don't attempt to explain how they feed everyone or why everyone's packed into that one room, right? Right. The um, the weird ruse. So, but my point about that is, if this were the first season of TOS, you'd be like, "This is what kind of science fiction this is." Yeah. But it's it's odd that in the third season we're suddenly getting these huge, broad pictures of of causes instead of the. It's not that TOS is the most subtle of them. But in general, they tried to be more realistic. Well, I mean, I can tell they you... They had higher verisimilitude. Certainly in my notes, I wrote down that this felt like they were just trying to save money. <laughs> just like bottle episode, existing well, sets. Well, for sure. No for sure. extras if for Kirk a lot of the episode. To an empty enterprise where they don't, <laughs> they don't even have extras and they just walk around pre-existing sets, right? It's just, definitely a bottle episode. Yeah, I think they just went, this will be cheap and easy. And then someone said, but does this plot make sense? And they said, it doesn't matter. There's going to be no show. No one wants to do this anymore. The, um, the whole empty ship ruse makes just absolutely zero sense. Yeah, why bother? Like, what is the point of having her try to convince him to stay maybe yeah you already kidnapped him like it's not even clear what they're trying to do to kirk they've already got her blood it's already in kirk's blood is already in her body making her sick that's where his bruised arm is from i don't know if we mentioned it they took his blood and they're not good at it and they bruised his arm and it's like it seems like they're gonna have to take his blood to kill every person individually (laughs) it's like no guys because they for sure don't, like, throw her back into the room to infect everyone else. It seems like, okay, we're going to need more of your blood, like, a bunch of times. Uh, yeah, I guess it's, that makes sense. Their medical expertise is so low that they probably are just like, I don't know, and then I guess we just inject everyone one by one? Yeah, one presumes. But, like, this whole ruse where they need to convince him to stay or whatever just does not make any sense. They could have just kept him in a fucking cage. Yeah. 
the Spock half is better. Yes. But they drag out the coordinate reveal for a couple of extra scenes for no point. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason in us noticing that the coordinates are different, but the Enterprise crew still not noticing. Yeah, not the people who are invested in figuring this problem out and have maybe beamed their captain into space or something. Right. And also, who know what those coordinates mean. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like... Instead of just a series of numbers. When I hear 079 and 709, I recognize that they are different numbers. Everyone on that bridge should know what it means that they're different. Yeah. Right? It should be even more obvious. Um, Why do Kirk and Adona fall have to fall in love? That's a very good question. It's just, it's unnecessary and it's kind of unbelievable. They spend a total of 90 minutes together. Yep. The whole time she's like, I don't know where I'm from. Oh, but I'm from a planet that's got mad overcrowding. And he's like, nothing on my ship works. And at the end of that 90 minutes, they're in love. Yeah. It just, there's no reason for it to be true. So what I'm saying is I didn't score it highly. I gave it two points for execution. Yep. Yeah. uh, They got a real, like I said, a real Thanos villain here. Just trying to get that good meningitis from Starfleet. So he can wipe out some of his population and cure their dumb overcrowding. It's such a weird plan. This is the only way they can get a disease is to lure the captain of the Enterprise? They can't get a disease they any other way. During their negotiations with the Federation... Somehow, this came up. They learned that Captain Kirk had... Uh, hold on. I wrote it down. Vagan choriomeningitis. This is a Starfleet where every week they are on a mission to go save a plague people of some right. kind. And this is the one they know about. And mind you, they had some other plan they must have that we didn't know about that involved joining the Federation. Because it turns out they learned about his disease during the negotiations. It's like They were like, oh, by the way, here's some personal medical information about one of our f- captains. That's stupid on its face. But also, that wasn't like that was the whole plan. Like, uh, we're going to pretend to join the Federation to lure Kirk here. That's what I'm saying. I think the initial plan was, uh, hey, these guys from the Federation keep reaching out to us to ask if we want to join. Because that's what the Federation does, right? I and, presume. And they're like, ah, we do need a disease. We don't know how to get one. Maybe we can get one from them. Weirdly, though, we know that disease exists and that yes. other people have it. And then they were talking to the Starfleet people and they just went, hey, uh, you guys know any any good diseases? You guys know anyone who got anything? And then one of them was one of Kirk's many buddies, and he went, "Oh yeah, my buddy, uh, my buddy Jim. He had a meningitis once. Why? Yeah, some wild ass former Starfleet captain. <laughs> yes. Probably, probably he was gonna cra- do a Hitler on that. Probably planet. crashed his shuttle on that <laughs> yes. planet, and it was just him and his weird Andorian fuck slave. And they <laughs> never, the Federation never even learned about these guys. But that was what started this whole thing. Yes, exactly. Well, he he tried to do a Hitler there, but I don't know. It was too crowded. He couldn't get it done. Um, Yeah, well, he was like, I don't want to rule this planet. It's a dump. So that's the only way they can get a disease, I guess. And then to bother with the deception seems dumb. A whole fake Enterprise? Like, (laughs) just, you already got him. You got his blood. You don't need to do any of the stuff that you're doing. It's just a waste of everyone's time. When he agreed to beam down, despite the fact that it was impossible for them to scan your planet, you you won. It It was over. You didn't, everything else was nothing. And then obviously there are a million solutions to this this problem you could colonize some other planets and fill them up uh you could like well I, we already talked about a number of them but the point is there's like a, a thousand fucking things so that part of it's dumb too so like every part of the episode as you go through you go this is dumb well this doesn't make sense why are they doing this 
It really is one of the dumber ones. It's a, and then a wild ending where Kirk goes, well, as long as that lady with the underwear on the outside is okay, I'm not going to raise any more complaints about it. This is fine. And he just leaves. And you go, wow, Starfleet didn't do anything there. That's a really poor job. Normally, doesn't he give a speech and tell them that they're bad and dumb and then... That's correct. Normally, he solves their problem and then tells them how they'll all get used to it. Don't worry. Yeah, shouldn't he shame them into changing and then walk away and never check? Don't don't you feel like the original ending to this episode was he teaches them uh, how to put a diaphragm in (laughs) and then tells them, don't worry, you're all going to be fine. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I, I had it as a three and only that high because... As bad and weird as it was, I didn't hate it as much as I hate some of them. I was interested. I was watching, and I was baffled, but it's a three for me. (laughs) It was perplexing. Yes. Uh, Did you give it many points for world building? Um, This one was a real bottle show. Yeah, I should say Ben gave it a two on execution to go with his one on take, so he's uh, he hasn't been enjoying it either. This may be why this is the only one we have notes from him. (laughs) He gave up after that. Maybe he watched this one and then went, oh, no. I watched this one first as well this week, and you always watch it first. And there was definitely a moment where I went, well, I kind of lost a lot of motivation. Yeah. I don't know if I want to watch anymore. It did. I did plan to, the day I watched this, this was the only one I watched, and I had planned to watch two. Yep, yeah, me this too. It did take the wind out of my sails. <laughs> me too. And then I said, I said, well, I'm at one of five. I don't think I can watch another one. And um, you you said you were at one of five too. And I was like, oh, so we, we both watched the Thanos one. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Uh, world building. The planet Gideon, not a Federation member. They refuse the presence of any delegation or surveillance by the Federation until now. Uh, they also have crazy high birth rates and they don't fucking die. So they got a full up planet. They're, um, they don't believe in the birth control. Uh, there is such a thing as the Bureau of Planetary Treaties. Yep. That spot gets referred to at one point. Uh, Kirk says... The Enterprise has energy to last forever because it regenerates. Yeah. I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what that indicates, but that's pretty cool. That sounds good. I mean, maybe it can get enough hydrogen from space that energy is not a concern if there's only two people on the ship. Yeah. But otherwise, it does seem like they don't use fuel at all, which would be wild. And it's a a number of times they've talked about how they're going to run out of energy reserves and shit. Like, as any one of the 15 episodes... If someone those dilithium crystals, they're going to run out of energy in three hours. (laughs) Right, every time time there's one of those episodes where their orbit's decaying or whatever, you're just like, oh, they're going to run out of energy again? But now he's like, nah, it lasts forever, so... Uh, And then I spent the back half of the episode trying to figure out what was going on with this this crazy alien plot and i didn't take any more notes on world building i gave it a two um ben gave it a one he because he it's uh, he doesn't understand how the federation got into this mess to begin with yeah what do they want from these guys it's real weird and then also well i can't why did these guys need to do this (laughs) he has this in world building you should have it in every section why it really is why it haunts this episode terribly yeah uh, I gave it a two. The interesting stuff here is some interplay between the Federation and Starfleet, like some indication of how they're distinct and yes, who's got the reins and stuff like that. And because it's this show, it's not painted in a good light. Yeah. Uh, bureaucrats and diplomats. Spock hates them both. Hates He's them got so real much. emotions about it. Yeah. So that's the interesting stuff. Uh, the crew of the Enterprise, I don't know if it's really set in stone. This week they say it's 430. 
That sounds approximately what they've been saying. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm just a two like you. What about characterization? Uh, a little better, for sure. Kirk is pretty patient down here. He doesn't get too distracted by this girl, and he only judo chops a couple of boys. Yep. Uh, his rational arguments don't sway anyone, and he pretty much immediately gives up, though, so well, look, that's not that great. If you make a couple of super basic points, and they go, no! <laughs> no, it is true. You just like, go, all right, fuck. You know, you know that a more nuanced argument is not going to sway that's him. That's right. Um, Spock is super frustrated with, again, bureaucrats and diplomats, but otherwise he's good. You know, he he's going to have to violate orders and all that stuff. The usual Starfleet stuff. Mm. Scotty and McCoy, though, should not be allowed on the bridge when someone's talking to an ambassador. Uhura either, Jesus. Yeah, Uhura pipes up at least once, too. Yeah. Like... D- I get that they are not command personnel and that they are not trained to to conduct diplomacy, yeah. but read the room. Spock is doing this very careful dance. Yeah, you know you're missing language. your captain, right? Right. Like, you're trying to get him back. You, Spock is trying to get permission to go and look for the captain, and you guys might blow it on, uh, I don't know, a little tantrum? Yeah, the situation is not good, and nothing you're doing is helpful. It's like, is Kirk's Enterprise so lax? That these people just feel like they can say what they want when they want. Right. I mean, doesn't it seem that way? Yes. And also, Kirk leaves Scotty in charge all the time. Yeah. What if he needed to talk to someone, though? Be a real trip situation. Like, so far he's just needed to figure out how to shoot an ancient temple. Yep. Or Um, otherwise just fly around in space and wait for things to change. Say a code phrase and notice when you don't get the right answer. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff, right? So far, it hasn't been diplomacy, but like, hey, what if it happened? Yeah. So, although Kirk wasn't a crazy monster in this one, and Spock was, again, as usual, the most human and believable character, I could only give it four points. Yeah, Ben gave it a two. Uh, He said Kirk's the lead here, but he doesn't actually show much of himself. Uh, Lead character is really the world they're exposing us to. He says Spock guesses his way to the finish uh, like usual. No one else is in it. Um, I was a little bit higher. I gave it a five. Kirk is pretty worried about his bruised arm and won't stop talking about it. And that makes him seem like kind of a wimp. (laughs) It's true. Um, Also, he can't help but get wet no matter what's going on out here. Yeah. No matter how many fucking green Frankenstein guys are watching on the view screen. Like, not only is this not the time for it, yeah. but, like, if you don't suspect that this woman was put here specifically for this, yeah. like, oh, you're the only one on this ship except this strange woman? Yeah. And then when she starts making kissy faces at you, you're like, all right, though. But I will say that he isn't like McCoy or even really like Spock. He's like, yeah, I'm way into this chick, but it's best that she go her way and I go mine. He's that is not. True. Kirk is never greedy about love. No, he's I happy think he to knows fuck that him. he's going to have another episode next week. Yeah, Kirk is always happy to fuck him and then happy to move on. The only lady he ever got bent out of shape about was Ruth, and we don't know what that was about. <laughs> yeah, Ruth worked him good for sure. <laughs> he is uh, fucking messed up about Ruth. Can he not remember the Indian woman that he married? He don't remember that. 
Okay. He doesn't remember any of those two months or whatever he spent there. Wasn't it an insane amount of time they had to fly around? Out? Oh, yeah. It was like two months where they were backing and backing away from an asteroid forever. Yeah. So he doesn't remember any of that shit when he was Kirok. Right. I remember it. I'll always remember it. But <laughs> You'll always remember I am Kirok. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. The uh, guy believing his own myth. Spock says the purpose of diplomacy is to prolong a crisis. Yep, Spock's got some real cynical takes. Says diplomats and bureaucrats achieve the same results, which he means none. None. None result. Spock's a real downer this week. He's not enjoying being in charge. (laughs) Uh, The whole crew hates this Gideon guy, this leader over there, and in a very unprofessional way, loudly over the view screen right to him. Um... (laughs) I guess I gave it a five because I was impressed the way Kirk was like, yeah, I'm into this chick, but like, you know, I'm busy. I got other stuff. <laughs> we got stuff. To, we both got stuff to do. I'm not going to lie. She's got to go be genocide. Like McCoy would have would have been like, I'll oh, yeah, stay. for sure. I'll, I'll McCoy would have gone down to live on planet Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, then Kirk and Spock would have had to save him from himself in some way. So, yeah. Um, no, Kirk and Spock have one thing in common. And that is they really don't love hoes. See, I wonder if that's true about Spock. He seems like he gets a little bent out of shape about ladies, too. Remember that lady on Vulcan? He, um, his, his wife? The Ponfar lady when he's in the yeah. Ponfar? I mean, he almost kills Kirk! That's because of his blood fever. Uh, just saying, Kirk ain't got that. No, Kirk don't have you blood don't fever. He don't have the blood fever. <laughs> He, that's for sure he doesn't just, have blood just he's meningitis. had a bunch of other diseases but he does not have blood fever he's got some light meningitis that's all 40 to 50 percent of starfleet captains must die of alien diseases right oh god yeah especially in this era where the captain goes down first that's just you're yeah. asking for it you go down there you catch something right away this is why so many of them get out of it and into the nazi game then the doctor has to use some 60s lab equipment he finds on the planet to make an antidote <laughs> that's miri is that miri <laughs> The yeoman can't be cool for one second about a couple of blotches on her legs. <laughs> her beautiful legs, though. Uh, yeah. Um, I got some Kirk's quick. a straight ass man. He doesn't even care. No, he should have told her that because she was pretty upset about it. Uh, Kirk's a slap at a woman in the face, man. I don't think he cares about any particular bodily attribute. I have a couple of quick hitters. Yeah, yeah. Let's have them, <laughs> please. Like I said, that seemed like they were trying to save money this week. I loved this guy calling Scotty uh, Enterprises repairman. <laughs> that was super condescending in a great way. Um, and again, did the coordinates just change from 079 to 709? Ah, oh, yeah, they did. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then I stopped taking quick hitters. Um, wh- let's talk about the coordinate system. Okay. The coordinates they beam Kirk on down to are... 875-020-079. Yes. What could that possibly mean? Um. Well, it could be, at least it's in three dimensions. It's, it is a three-dimensional coordinate system. So However, that's helpful, I guess. There are a possibility of apparently only 999 <laughs> or 1,000 distinct options. Maybe so. that means around the Enterprise. Maybe it's a thousand oh, bits from the Enterprise floating around the Enterprise that sort of dictates their transporter yeah, but, range. But it's still a problem because if they're they've got to be at least a hundred kilometers up to be in orbit. Uh huh. So 
Oh, you'd like to be able to be more granular than that? Yeah, what I'm saying <laughs> yes. is there's very little granularity. They could beam him yeah. 400 meters above the ground. <laughs> He'll be all right. Which would be a problem. It'll be all right. Pack a, pack a fucking parachute. You'll be fine. Yeah, it's a good question, but it's one of the things that don't even bother. Don't bother asking questions about it. I, I think, I mean, it just, I just, they just make so much of the coordinates. They repeat the first one at least twice. Mm-hmm. And then they repeat the second one at least twice. Oh, honestly, and then they I come only... back at you with the first one one last time. And so it's like, ooh, it really made me think about it. I honestly only paid attention once I realized they had repeated the first one twice. When they did yeah. it the second time, I went, oh, okay, I better, I better write this down. Right. This is going to matter. Uh, Spock says, to nobody, to the bridge in general, we must acknowledge once and for all that the purpose of diplomacy is to prolong a crisis. He's, but he includes everybody in it with that we. That is Spock's tantrum. Yeah, that is his big tantrum. Are we supposed to believe that if Kirk had been in this quadrant of space before, he would be able to recognize that star field without even checking to see what direction Enterprise was facing? Because when he notices that the planet's gone, he says, I don't recognize this quadrant. Just looking at the view screen. <laughs> no, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't recognize? Could you? Could you? Man, there's... There's there's a thousand stars on the view screen right now. The flashcards for this must be intense. <laughs> uh, when Odona is describing her people's plight, they have some real Klingon-sounding background horns. Yeah. I realize they have not settled on an audio language for the Klingons yet at this point in the franchise, but it, they gave them the full Klingon treatment this Well, time. again, everything about this... Most of this season, and specifically this episode, is just reusing whatever they yeah. already got in the can. Yeah, there's not that much new music, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Ambassador Hoden has got the eyebrows of a military general. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I gave Best Actor to Spock and Worst Actor to Adona. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Ben's only quick hitter was that the show is horrifying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Which is fair. Fourth place last week was Voyager. Okay. They were comfortable there, but happy to escape last place. That's all they can do these days. This week we watched Nemesis. That was a good direction to go in. Uh, well, it turns out that my music collection, one area where it's really deficient is in angry left-wing punk. Mm. So I did not have any songs that were really about indoctrination in any way. Sure, sure. But I did have Sergeant Smiles, Marine Recruiter by the Mr. T I think that works well for this episode. Uh, a Chaco special, everybody. I know you were like, can Chaco get another episode to himself? What, I miss him and all of his it's great... It's been a while since we've had one that really dug into him, huh? His great, great work. Uh, Chaco gets caught whizzing in the forest by a commando of some kind, and then you get the credits. Uh, turns out Chaco went down to this place in a shuttle to look for uh, Omicron emissions or something. Yeah, Omicron radiation. And his shuttle got shut down when he got too close to some war zone. Uh, this planet is in some kind of war between the the Crady. Cr- some guys call them Cradies, but they're really called Craden. Uh, and these Vori guys who have caught him in the forest. 
the leader of this unit is pretty reasonable and lets Chaco go and gives him the exposition this episode was needing. Um, all about the nemesis is what they call the Kraden and how they're at war with them and how he stumbled into a war zone. Anyway, Chaco needs to go find his shuttle and they agree it's best to wait till morning. Meanwhile, he chats with the soldiers and learns that war is hell, I guess. <laughs> pretty much. When it's light out, he goes to find his shuttle. He spots some debris and then is attacked by two beastly nemesises, nemeses with Nausicaan claw mouths and shit. Real crazy beasts for sure. The, the commando unit with him eats it, but uh, the unit he spent the night with uh, comes out of the trees and saves him. Um, Chakotay doesn't want to kill anybody or get wrapped up in this conflict, but agrees to carry a weapon while he goes with them to their base where he may be able to communicate with Voyager. He drills on the weapon with a soldier who's been shown to be a bit green and frightened to this point. Uh, this is so we can track his progress and watch him become a heartless killing machine like his comrades. Chaco tries to tell him it's okay to be scared. It's even good to be scared. But the guy misunderstands and goes, Oh, you mean become a killing machine with no soul? I get it. Thanks for teaching me so good. <laughs> and then he shoots the shit out of some targets. They get to the seventh contingent where they've been heading for a while, but uh, all those guys are dead and their bodies have been desecrated. The unit leader is too shouty about it in the woods and they are attacked in the forest as well. <laughs> yeah, and he never says my bad. No. Oh, guys, I'm so sorry. As he's getting shot down. Uh, lots of them eat it, including Chaco's little buddy who we turned into a killing machine a minute ago. And Chaco escapes into the woods. He comes out at a Vori village and meets a weird little girl who reads right off the script and passes out. <laughs> I'm joking. Chaco passes out. Uh, meanwhile, on Voyager, they've been searching for two days, but uh, they finally found the remains of Chaco's shuttle. They can't scan the surface because of too much weapons fire. Right. That's what they say. Well, the weapons fire was putting Omicron radiation in the air. That's the reason Chakotay oh. went to investigate. But these guys are smart enough to realize that that Omicron radiation is coming from weapons fire. Okay. Um, and that maybe they shouldn't get real close. Well, anyway, Neelix has talked to an ambassador um, down on the planet, but there doesn't seem to be a ton that they can do for him right now. Uh, meanwhile, Chaco's convalescing in the village, and they tell him if he can go a few miles, he can get to a place with some communications equipment. But first, he befriends that little girl who can't act. Um, and that's so he'll have something to fight for in a few minutes. Chaco yeah. is leaving the village when two, they looked like Panavia tornadoes. Mm, I had, uh, F4 phantoms with other stuff glued to them in my notes, but we'll see. By other, there might've been Sepcat Jaguars, but they, you're right. They could have been, it could have maybe been a Jaguar and a pan, an early model Panavia tor tornado. Maybe. Yeah. They fly overhead and they drop some ordnance on the town. And then he goes back and he sees all the claw mouth guys rounding the people up and he gets caught. Uh, on Voyager, Tuvok determines the best rescue plan is to have one crew member go down, Tuvok, accompanied by a commando unit provided by that ambassador they've been working with. Um, Chaco is told uh, the old and infirm, including his little friend's grandpappy, are off to the gas chambers or whatever. Yep. The girl tries to interfere and is caught, and uh, I guess she's also going to get sent to the execution place. Uh, so Chaco goes wild with rage, but is again captured. Uh... Then a wild twist. The people Neelix have been working with are the Kraden monsters with the claw mouths that Chaco's been yep. fighting all along. They call yes, the Vori I mean, Nemesis. That's right. We have been we have already been primed 
to think that there was the Vori because they say stuff like, oh yeah, they call the enemy the nemesis mm-hmm. and apparently they do horrible things and desecrate bodies. So it is a for sure a big sci-fi twist yeah. when the Kraden beams up. And I want to say, I have to admit, it got me. I was not expecting <laughs> you, it. Oh! I had never seen this episode. I was sure it was going to be about something else. Yeah. And when that guy beamed up, first of all, I immediately understood what they were doing. <laughs> yes. And I, but I, and so this episode scored more points than it deserved because they got me with that twist. Yeah. Yeah. I have here, they call the Vori nemesis and repeat all the same lies about them. Get it? Yep. Anyway, Chakotay. It's a real get it moment for sure. <laughs> yeah. Chakotay and his old commando buddies try to take. If Picard had been in this one, he would have spiked the lens. <laughs> right before credits. He would have looked right at the, right at the fucking camera. Uh, Chaco and his old commando buddies try to take the fight to the nemesis, but they get pinned down and a monster comes out of the woods talking like he's Tuvok. Turns out it is Tuvok. And Chakotay's been brainwashed to believe that uh, he's some kind of monster man. And all this shit happening in the village and everything before it was fake and meant to indoctrinate Chaco by making him hate his nemesis. I guess that's how they make soldiers on this planet. Uh, a Kraden ambassador comes in to apologize to Chaco in, back in sickbay once they've got him back on board. And uh, Chaco can't even look at him. So he's going to need at least one week to get over this terrible mindfuck. <laughs> it's not as easy to stop hating as it is to start, everybody. The end. Yeah. That's not your take. That's what Chakotay says. No, that's the not the take. Thing. It's the last line of the Enterprise, <laughs> of the episode, I mean. So, all right. Well, you, you, we all know what it's about, so go, go yeah. for it. Uh, hatred can be taught and propaganda works. Yeah. There are lots and lots of real life examples of this. So you could argue that we don't need this in Star Trek, but there's a lot of hero worship of the military yeah. and everyone gets real sensitive about the idea that both sides might be doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, frankly, this is the kind of thing that I think would normally be covered in sci-fi. It felt very sci-fi. It's not, um, it's not cheery. Not a cheery take, not a cheery episode. Kind of an observation, and I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about it, except maybe think critically about what we hear mm-hmm. about about the other side. It doesn't really go so far. The problem is the episode leaves unresolved whether these people really are committing these crimes yes. against each other, whether they are desecrating bodies and stuff like that, or whether that's just lies that both sides are telling. So... It, it doesn't go so far as to say, remember that your adversary is basically the same as you and that these wars are about big causes that, and, and not the, these personal hatreds. Mm-hmm. So I can only give it five points, but it's definitely doing sci-fi here. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, each side demonizes the other in war and represent their opponents as monsters, but really, those rumors you heard about the enemy are being repeated in their land about you, so... Yeah, propaganda sucks. And I mean, look, it, it, it's really, really true. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a made-up idea. If you just just listen to what the Japanese thought about us during World War II, mm-hmm. and what listen we to said what about we thought them. about the yeah. Japanese during World War II, it's this is a very real thing that is probably as old as time. Yep, uh, I gave it a six. I thought it was uh, appropriately sci-fi and easy enough to understand and everything. So. Uh, All right, execution. Please. Uh, Obviously, this is true to some extent. Like you said, it it sort of seems like they don't get into whether or not one side could actually be an aggressor or guilty of war crimes. 
Right. There's a lot of stuff they don't get into at all, like how these two different species ended up on this fucking planet. Mm-hmm. Like, or, by the way, if the Vori even look like uh, dudes, humans at all. Yeah. Because they look exactly like humans and it's not explained. Yeah. And later we see that Chakotay's brainwashing is so strong and he's been pumped full of drugs. The yeah. doctor, that's a throwaway line. But his brainwashing is so strong that when he sees Tuvok, he sees him as a Kraden. Yeah, he sees him as so, one of them Nausicans. I mean Kraden. Everybody else sees them looking that way, so we assume that's what the Kraden really look like, but it's not. The Vori could look just like that, too, yes. the way this episode goes, so who the hell knows? Yeah, I mean, look, as we know, um, nothing is ever 100% equal and in war. Sometimes there are aggressors, and sometimes there are people who create who have greater abuses and we will never know what how that works in this conflict so that's the only thing i didn't like about the take is that it just sort of lays this out and goes so there everyone is equally bad right it's not nuanced in any way yeah it's big sci-fi and it doesn't get into any details or what you're supposed to do about it at all yeah um and again instead of just two sides saying shit about each other one of these factions straight brainwashes people to get them fighting mad like literally pumps them full of drugs and right puts them through a whole program and everything like that so yeah and they don't i should never i should not try to rewrite these episodes but they don't do a thing where the reveal comes earlier and the episode is actually about Chakotay dealing with the fact that he still has hatred for these people despite the fact that he knows he was lied to yeah because that obviously that would be more of a take, I think. Did we see the one where O'Brien lived a whole lifetime in prison yet? No. Okay, so there's one where he lives the whole lifetime in prison, and that is done by like eight minutes into the episode. <laughs> and so you do get a whole episode of him tr- sort of trying to come to terms with it, and you're right that that is 100% more effective. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what I think about that episode yes. when it comes up. That, but that sounds very much like one of my improvements for one of these mediocre episodes. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Chaco is so boring <laughs> in every episode, including this one, and we don't get much of what's happening on Voyager. There's no B plot. It's just them trying to find him. Yeah. Um. So. It was. I didn't enjoy it. You're like you. You said earlier it got more points than it deserved. I felt the same way because I watched this the whole time, going, "Ugh, like no more." So there's. By the way, there's one thing that neither one of us have said so far, which is that the Vori speak in oh, a yeah. very strange, it's, stilted science fiction. It's leg way. broke on the overside again. It's it's leg broke on the overside, yeah. which makes it very hard to watch because it's <sighs> so it. corny. I hate it so much. And I, by the way. It's, you you called out that uh, that the girl is not a great actor, and you're not wrong, but this was a harder assignment than she would normally have been given, for it's sure, true. because she has to talk in this dumb way. Yeah, kids can barely act in regular English. She has to ask Chakotay if it's true that the members of the seventh contingent were upturned. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Probably, That's hard. I wonder if she even bothered to ask what any of this meant, or if she just went, nah, I'll just read it. When that kid is in... Uh, Janeway's fuck novel yeah. and he's doing pretty good Victorian kid shit <laughs> yeah. there was stuff they could make him watch to teach him how to do Victorian kid shit now, that kid was still a good actor that's true like, and I think we called it out when we saw it's it like hey that that kid's too good to be a child actor there was no leg broke on the oversight for this but he didn't have to, to do watch. any of that shit yeah uh, I gave it a four um, just because I there were it was cheesy and there were some limitations to the take 
but it, it, I mean, it really, if you're just talking about what it was set out to achieve and how it did it, it really wasn't that bad. Yep. And, um, frankly, I agree. There, there are a couple of loose ends in this one for sure. Mm -hmm. Number one, this seems like a very expensive program to put on for the benefit of one downed alien pilot. Yeah. Everybody who they get in the military has to go through this whole program. I mean, it's a lot. Presumably there are some people who volunteer and maybe this is just real easy for him, but I don't know. But like the first 10 sentences out of Chakotay's mouth are about how his people don't really do this and there's got to be a peaceful way and they still run the whole fucking thing. By the way, him. how I want to know more about this program because it's obviously very smart or it's based on it's like getting the answers from his own brain or something because they don't right. just keep going. What you're a Vori? Don't you hate the Crady or whatever? The program exactly. seems to be able to handle that he is an alien from another place. Exactly. And then also, like, which makes you think, oh, it should be real people, yeah. like actors doing this. But then, like, that girl is an actor? Uh, if she's an actor, she's a bad actor because she says the exact same line to the exact same guy and doesn't go, then, hey, we already did this guy. But then at the <laughs> end, when he doesn't believe it, Tuvok walks him back to the fucking village and they're running the same script again. Yeah. And it's like, so they're, not they're real. real people. Yeah. Right, so this is some kind of hologram, but it's a really good one. That's what I'm saying. But it doesn't, I mean, again, it just makes it seem like it's an awful lot for one guy. Also, Chakotay has a lot of opportunities to notice that something's wrong. Like, um, the shoot-on-site death camp Creighton put up with a lot of shit from him. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they keep getting him, like, the rifle butt. And then they just right. kill everyone else. Right, or they're like... He sends the he when he goes out to find a shuttle. He sends one guy with him, and it's an opportunity to show that Rafen's a coward, and so he sends this guy Namon with him instead. Mm -hmm. And Namon gets got, and then all of the guys from yeah. the camp are immediately right. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to notice that something's. <laughs> he didn't turn around weird. and go, "Hey, I thought you guys sent us off on our own. Why were you right behind those trees? We've been walking for like 45 minutes. What's up?" And uh, anyway, he doesn't. Yeah. So. You know, and if they'd hired three more extras to be a different group of those guys who fought them yeah. off, then it, that doesn't happen. So there's some loose stuff that could have been fixed. Uh, the little language hiccups are a real third rail universal translator question, too. Yep. How does it work? But, Why is it doing that? Yeah. But it's it's doing the dramatic work of uh, Chakotay's language changes throughout. He starts using more and more of the terms and it, it's a marker mm -hmm. of his indoctrination. So you understand why it's there. It's just really more of a problem with the existence of the universal translator, which is a problem in every episode. It's a, just in every single episode. Yep. Uh, Chakotay's brainwashing where he sees Tuvok as a Kraden is the worst. You're making me see his hallucination. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Anyway, it's also unnecessary. If Tuvok was there and Chakotay just kept yelling at him about him being a Kraden, uh, it does exactly the same dramatic work. Yeah. You don't need us to see him that way. Anyway, despite all of that, they did catch me with that twist. That's and true, yeah. Also, like, like you, I don't think this was a totally ineffectual episode. I gave it five points. What about... It's hard... Fucking hard to watch, though. Yeah, I don't want to watch it again. I've watched it enough times in my life now. That's at least twice I've seen that. So that's more than enough. Um, what about world building? Boy, almost nothing in this one, huh? Well, we're, I don't think we're going to have a lot to do with these guys moving forward. So. Exactly. Uh, they lost another shuttle. Uh, just a reminder, God they lost damn. one last week, too. They've lost like four out of the last five weeks. Yeah. 
uh, we learned a lot about the properties of Omicron radiation. <laughs> so we'll see if that ever gets said again. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I could give it a point for was we see Neelix continuing to function as the ship's diplomat here. Yes. And he seems like he's doing a fine job with it, frankly. So I gave it a point for that, but I... <sighs> So this was far short of the standard three for world building. Yeah, I've got Crady um, and Vori and Nemesis are words they use on this planet. The Craden are... Well, they're words that the Universal Translator picked for Chakotay's benefit. <laughs> the Craden uh, the are Nausicans? They look so much like Nausicans. Don't tell me they're not Nausicans. I fucking looked at those guys. Uh, listen, also maybe like Chalnoth. I don't know. Mm, Nausicans no. don't have that vagina dentata <laughs> mouth so much. The Chalnoth is real hairy, I think, though. Yeah. Here, I'm going to do a quick search here. Chalnoth. Memory alpha. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of hair. And, and he's only got two fangs, and they, yeah. they appear to articulate, because every time he talks, they bend out in a way that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, how does his whole face work? We should exactly. have asked that question. <laughs> These are your standard fang face aliens. They do look a lot like Nausicaan. It doesn't help that they're all dressed in commando black the whole time. <laughs> yeah, then I pulled up Nausicaan, and I gotta say, dude, especially this 22nd right, Look at this 22nd century Nausicaan from Enterprise. And then you look okay. at the Kraden. And, uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> There is a huge similarity between these dudes. This guy's about fifteen fewer fangs. Yeah, and also I don't think the uh, I don't think the Kraden have head spines. Uh, it's true he doesn't have the little pokies, but otherwise, dude. Yeah. They, I mean, look at these two dudes. They they fucking cousins. Look, I get it. They're definitely <laughs> all right. Hang on, let me just look up Kraden. They're similar, but it's definitely not just a mask reuse. No, but uh, yeah, they may not have realized how similar they got. <laughs> These guys are like, um, they got the face hugger from Alien going on. A little bit, like yeah. Like if that guy met a Nausicaan and then had the Predator hair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely not an inspired Alien design. Yeah. It's a mashem up, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Um... These guys think uh, they should be facing the Earth when they die for afterlife reasons, I guess. Yep. Um, how do these sensors work? Too much weapons fire makes it so you can't scan shit? Um, weapons fire is usually the thing they can scan the best. They're usually really good at scanning for that kind of thing. Uh, this advanced brainwashing program that we're never going to see again. Um, yeah, one one seems fair. It's, uh, it's not what they were going for. They no. were not trying to put this into their rich universe. No. Uh, How about characterization? Chaco doesn't want to kill anybody and doesn't want to get wrapped up in this conflict, but when he sees what happens to these fake villagers, he's 100% in. Yep. TP is weirdly guilty about Chaco going missing and volunteers to go rescue him. Maybe he begged off the mission to, like, masturbate or something? And now he yeah. feels kind of bad about it. I'm sure it was like, Jane was like, you're the ship's pilot, so he's taking a shuttle out. Do you want to go on that shuttle? And he's like, nah, me and Balana are doing a tea ceremony on the holodeck. I designed the program. <laughs> so we got to go do that. Uh, and then he even takes up Chakotay's cause and fights with his old rival, Tuvok. <laughs> which I found very odd. It's like they wrote the episode for Chakotay to be on the planet and for him to be on Voyager. Uh, I would have given it so many points if Tuvok had said, no, logically it should be 
me who goes down there, despite my feelings for Commander. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to give it a three. We're close. Um, I think they do a bad job of this. There's only a couple of throwaway lines here, but Chakotay's Maquis background makes him a little extra susceptible to this. Yeah. He definitely, well before the brainwashing takes over, he uses language that suggests he identifies himself with these guys. I mean, he talks with the and ner- the, the wiener guy and the about Kraden it. as Cardassians, right? Yeah. So they don't get into... They got they got to do too much twist work to get into how his Maquis past really affects him here, and if and how he's not just a regular peaceful Federation guy, right? Yeah, I mean it is I guess interesting to think about how much harder would it have been to get Harry Kim to do it or whatever, right? Um, I think again I think it is reasonable and understandable that he still had messed up feelings about the uh, Creighton ambassador at the end. I wanted the episode to be more about that. Yep. Tom Paris has got weird hero shit this week. And Tuvok knows the magic words to snap Chakotay out of a hallucination. Didn't it? The usual words, you're a Starfleet officer. That's yes, right. <laughs> By the way, I love that that's what does it because he's a, he's a Maquis. Right. He left Starfleet <laughs> of his own choice to fight with the Maquis. Now, but granted, every episode, it just gets better. It's been solid years, yes. but still. And he was all in from episode two, but it's like, yeah, it's they really wish they could rewrite it so that he was never a Maquis. He is yep. so a hundred percent in. Yeah, they discovered they didn't have anything interesting to say no. about that, or really for any of the Maquis crew members. I don't know what members. they thought they were going to do. They're like, we're going to make the crew half Maquis, and then they like, just didn't do anything about that. Like even with Seska, she was double crossing the Maquis, so <laughs> it's not even her shit's not even about that either. So <laughs> yeah, it's baffling. I gave it a four for characterization. Okay. Uh, Beltran was still pretty checked out. Oh yeah, we still weren't getting a lot from him in this one, but at least nothing felt like crazy weird to me. Don't hold your breath. I don't think we're ever gonna get anything again from him, and that's why I can't believe they're still giving him episodes at this point. Like, just throw him uh, into the background, have him say a few things on the bridge. It doesn't matter. I have I have just almost no quick hitters, so it's gonna be real quick this week. Right, go for it. Uh, number one, I don't know if I can take a whole episode of this dialogue. <laughs> yep. I wrote that within the first couple of minutes. It was not and, good. And the thing about the dialogue is, I think one of the reasons I was set up for the big twist about the nemesis is that I thought that this was maybe going to be an episode about child soldiers. Oh. Because their dialogue is very Miri-like. Yeah. Like, it's very grups and... Or again, leg broke on the overside. Those guys were all children, right? Yep. So they have those weird child language patterns. About the diggers and uh, right, all that. And so between that and uh, Rafin, I was like, is the twist going to be that Rafin's 10 and he's just big because they, <laughs> they've they genetically engineered these big child soldiers? Yeah. Uh, because it, which if you think about it, is still kind of a story about indoctrination, but that, that set me up for that. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that's not it at all. And then um, I thought poor Beltran looked even less comfortable than Chakotay with that rifle. <laughs> yeah. He really was firing firing blanks on a movie set or whatever. He really was blinking every time we pulled the trigger. It was pretty hard to watch. Yes, the real life Beltran is even more of a peacenik, it turns out. Yeah. 
Uh, best actor. It's a tough one this week. I gave it to Brone. That's the name of the squad leader. Oh, boy. Boy, that is a tough one because that guy wasn't that great. <laughs> I gave worst actor to Ray Finn. Sounds like you would have given it to the little girl, but I don't think I even wrote down her name. I so. also didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's mean to give it to the little kid. Like you said. Yeah. Okay, so little kids can't act, period. So if you give them something that's not even English, like, fuck. Like, they can't do that. Uh, let's see. The Nemesis fumed this old boy's village. Yeah. Fumed it. And then fucking nullified his brothers and cousins and shit. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the little girl speaks an even child, more childish language because she keeps saying nullied. <laughs> That's right. She hopes her brother wasn't nullied or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this unit commander, as I talked about earlier, is not good at stealth. Just no. shouts his fucking guts out in this forest, even though the nemesis is surely nearby. No, this is a big speech maker guy. Yeah. This guy's a real big, uh, motivating the troops kind of squad leader and not a stealth guy. No, because they get to that village and everyone's wiped out and it's like, bro, who do you think did that? They probably around. Maybe yeah. don't start shouting. And then they all get blasted. So at least that paid off. Um, that was it for me on quick ones. Yeah, it's tough to watch. It's hard to take extra notes. Also, when I do the synopses, I always just throw them in there, so. Third place last week was Enterprise. Oh. Uh, man, can you believe that episode was as good as third place? Uh, I think we've had some weak, some weak. Yeah. Like, last week, the winner only got 36 points, so we've had some weak ones lately. That's true, that's true. Uh, this week we watched The Forgotten. No, wait. I'm doing it in the wrong order. Third place last week was Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, last week, uh, last it was Facets. It was a stupid Dax episode. And it right, got the Dax place. episode. Yeah. And it got third place despite being a Dax episode. So the shitty they... episode got as, better, as good as second place last yeah, week. Yeah, the Enterprise episode was second last <laughs> yeah. week, so it's even worse. Uh, last, third place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched The Adversary. Cisco is being promoted. During the ceremony, a Federation ambassador comes to Cisco to explain that they're supposed to go to the border of Senkethi space and show the flag, because I guess they got some, some coup, some military coup, and they're worried that they might, I don't know, attack the Federation or something. Yeah, it's one of these things where it sure seems like the Federation... Well, it's, anyway, the Federation was at war with Senkethi in Cisco's military career. Mm-hmm. He says he hasn't been in Sengethi space since the war. Yep. Anyway, this ambassador... What was up with the Federation right before TNG? It's, I... They were fighting the Cardis for sure. And apparently the Zenkathi. The Zenkathis. Uh, Ferengi? What's Jono's old man? Oh, uh, Talarian? Talarians, maybe? It feels like they just got done fighting those guys, huh? Yep, and then, of course, Picard was running into aliens and blasting them in space. Yeah, Picard blasted the Ferengis all up. The Battle of Maxia, which he doesn't remember anymore. So it's always baffling. He doesn't remember. Yeah. What? When? The fucking 20, the 2350s were wild, huh? When did I lose a ship? What are you talking about? My ship got shot? Mine? Oh. Oh, yeah. No, I kind of remember that. This is going to be my pitch for when they give me a Star Trek series, is it's going to be 
just 10 years before TNG. That does sound like there's a lot of interesting stuff, but prequels. everybody is everybody is going to be wearing. Oh, this is tough. In the Battle of Maxia flashbacks, they're wearing the season one uniforms, aren't they? Yes. They're not wearing the movie uniforms with no undershirt. But they were wearing versions of movie uniforms 20 years ago when the Enterprise C right. stuff goes down. So maybe we set it like around 2350. Yeah. And we could still put them in those old uniforms and then yeah, they but, can be fighting the Cardassians and the Zenkethi and all these other races. The prequels are so fraught. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't fuck it up. Well, that's all I'm saying. No, listen. I'll do it right. We won't see the Ferengi or the Borg. All right, good. We won't see the Romulans. We know they've been dead fucking quiet. Anyway, uh, this ambassador is going to come along on Defiant to observe. So uh, Then O'Brien is doing some engineering stuff on Defiant, and he hears some noises, and I guess it's fucking, I don't know, jump scare time or something. Uh, ominous music and credits. Cisco and Dax chat about Cassidy Yates for a while, because I guess she's still in the show, and then Defiant heads off on their mission. O'Brien hears more noises in a Jeffrey's tube, and uh, he bumps into Bashir, of all people, who says he was just crawling around up there hooking up a new diagnostic console for sickbay. Uh, O'Brien is suspicious and checks on his work and declares that it's not bad for uh, only having taken an engineering extension course. Yep. Cisco invites uh, Lieutenant Commander Eddington to his quarters? Ready room? Mess hall? Mess hall? <laughs> I, I could not read that room at all. There's a bunch of new Defiant sets, and they're not well signposted. I have that in like my... Like, we see engineering, and we know what that is this time, but... I have it in my world building. What the fuck is that room? I don't know where he is. Yeah. Um, anyway, he asks Eddington to keep the ambassador safe and under supervision in case shit goes off. They get a distress call from Barissa Prime as a colony near the Zenkethi uh, that is apparently under attack, and they lose the signal, and so they head over there, assuming they are now at war with the Zenkethi, and that's where he says that stuff about Howie. Hasn't been back to Zenkathy space since since the last war or whatever. Uh, they find that their communications are malfunctioning when they get there, and O'Brien heads, or as they're heading there, and O'Brien heads to engineering to repair the problem, but uh, he finds some shitty parasite attacking their system, and it's protected by a force field. That's fucking New Vortiform City in there. Yeah. O'Brien says this problem's cropping up all over the ship, and that it definitely began after they left the station, so they may have a saboteur on board. What if the <laughs> captain of my ship is the young Necheyev? Oh, are we going to find out why she's such a bee? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of She's going to have a lot like of trauma. She's probably going to start out naive and Federation-y, but all those wars are going to get to her. Oh, that's exciting. Um, what about Jellico? Are we going to see young Jellico? Uh, Yeah. I would think so. I imagine those Jellico's two are close. Be in it. He's he must be her, one of her reliable lieutenants. Maybe he's her first officer. Oh man, this is gonna be a good show. That well, you know, we're already on StarTrek.com, so that's <laughs> true. Maybe we can make this thing happen. I'll see if I can set up a pitch meeting. <laughs> um, O'Brien says he found Bashir in the tubes a minute ago, so maybe it was him. Dax suggests they set up some kind of cool trap to catch him. Yeah, she has a sting operation in mind. Cisco, un- apparently it's true. It's not really a sting. She, has, she makes it seem like it's going to be some kind of brilliant plan. But then they just, Cisco announces that there has been sabotage to the senior staff. And then they say out loud that they'll test positive for Tetrions because of the shit they were tampering with. So they just test everyone for Tetrions. 
And yeah. they test him one by one. And when they get to Bashir, there's some nervous music in the background, but he tests negative. Yeah, and Eddington draws his phaser despite the fact that he was not in the scene where O'Brien was like, I think it's Bashir. <laughs> yep. He heard the music. Um, yeah. A relieved O'Brien says he had his doubts when he saw Bashir in the conduits, but Bashir says he was never in them at all. Whoops. As Dax tests the ambassador, her readings show he has the Tetrion traces on him, and he shapeshifts into a goo. Yeah. And disappears into the vents or something. Yeah, the adversary, Matt. It's, it's I guess it's the founders. Yeah, they suddenly go into cloak, and they lose control of the propulsion and the weapons, and they're headed on an automated trip to kill the Zenkethi, I guess. Uh, They have a... Yeah, it's a real conundrum? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> They have a little conference and decide that everything they were told about the Zenkefi could be a lie, a Dominion ploy to start a war. Anyway, the Changeling could be anything or anyone, so we know what the rest of this episode's gonna be. Uh, they got seven hours until they reach Zenkefi space, so it's time to hunt for a Changeling. During the initial part of the hunt, Dax is hurt and left unconscious, so they can't figure out what she saw, and O'Brien is down another staff member for his quest to get the ship back under control. I guess that was what her job was. She's there's no one else with any engineering training on this whole ship. Apparently, it is an O'Brien doesn't have a staff. I guess I, on the <laughs> I have many questions. There's about forty-seven it. people, but no engineers. Which I was told Starfleet was like ninety-nine percent engineers. So that doesn't it seem like it? Uh, Cisco breaks everybody up into two-man teams with rifles, and they just start blasting everything on the ship on low power to try to get the dude exposed. Now they've been listening to me every week talking about the said, wide. Why beam? don't they use wide beam stun? Yeah. Cisco's team runs into the thing, and it kills Cisco's partner with a neck-wrapping technique of some kind. Uh, a moody Bolian and Kira get into it after they're briefly separated, showing how scary and paranoid the changelings make them. Yep. Cisco knocks the Bolian out when he refuses to drop his weapon. Odo points out what he should have ages ago. Cisco can't be the changeling because he's bleeding all over the damn place, and... I I think this is the first time Odo's thought about it. Well, that's what I'm saying. He needed to. He needs to have thought about it before. Yeah, if he had thought about, he would have had to see someone bleeding. I think he should have thought about this like two years ago. Is what I'm saying. Like whenever they first ah, ran into those guys, at the end of last season. If you piss in the toilet and it stays yellow, <laughs> that's right? Oh no, no, yellow's the wrong color. <laughs> you might not be able to tell. It might not be. Yeah, because I guess they can't be in two places at once. So as soon as something disconnects from a changeling's body, it goes back to goo. So that includes blood that drops on the ground. Um, so they start drawing blood in case any of them are the changeling. Adding right, so now they've got their first met. So I, I don't think you mentioned it, but earlier it was revealed. And this is super wild. Mm. That you when if someone if a changeling is a rock oh, yeah. when you scan them it just is a rock and when they scanned changeling, uh, the changeling ambassador he read as human. Yep. Which means he's doing some impressive work because I'm pretty sure these tricorders could tell the difference between like a human and a betazoid, for instance. Yeah, we so. have talked about how impressive the shapeshifting is on this show, how you can become a glass with no mass and stuff. Yeah, I'm 90% sure he, that they're that they can look at somebody and f do their DNA now. Mm -hmm. It's it's wild trash what they can do. Um. Anyway, they do the blood test in Eddington's blood turns. And when they lead him to the brig, I guess, they find the... Uh Real Bashir locked behind a force field. Okay, th this is true, but 
they do real they do a real obvious Bashir's holding yes. two vials during the Eddington turn thing. Yep. So we know Bashir's doing it before they Bashir do. shows up so that everybody knows what's happening, but they let the audience in a little earlier. They didn't trust us with that second Bashir, it's true. Because then there's which no Which is which is crazy because it would have made perfect sense for Eddington to be the changeling. He's the most suspicious one anyway. Yeah, and then I'll I mean we'll talk about it a lot because I have forty five minutes of my notes alone on this episode. But yeah. um this changeling, for some reason, decides to lead them right to the real Bashir. Just for kicks? I watched this scene twice because <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the fuck was what happening. Was this it seems like Bashir was in the middle of escaping when they found him. Well, he opens the and door, he, but there's still a force field. And he managed to get that door open at exactly the right moment. So presumably, the changeling was figuring they would open another one? I don't know, man. I don't know what he was thinking. It was wild. Uh... Anyway, so it was Bashir. It was Bashir who was fake at that point. So they start chasing again. As they approach Zenkethi space, Odo chases the changeling around the ship in jello form. Sisko orders the self-destruct sequence in order to avoid firing on the Zenkethi and starting a war. Two Odos appear in engineering. Finally, it was only a matter of time before there were two Odos. They start quizzing each other about O'Brien's lamb stew while O'Brien tries to complete his repairs. O'Brien knocks out... Oh, by the way, O'Brien does not play along. No, that's not the best part. Probably the best part of the whole episode. They are quizzing one like, another. No. Brian's like, uh, look, guys, I don't, I don't have time. For this. Listen, if I don't get the shields down, it doesn't matter which one of you is the changeling. So <laughs> you guys work it out. Uh, anyway, he eventually does knock out the changeling force fields, uh, which also knock down all of the force fields on the ship, which seems kind of dangerous. But uh, the infiltrator but it makes the warp drive real hot. The infiltrator gets nervous and goes punch happy, and he knocks out both engineers. Uh, but one of those is O'Brien, I guess. And then he and Odo wrestle a bit. The guy does a cool Kalima bit and puts his hand inside of Odo. Yep. And he tries to convince Odo to come with him, but Odo goops him back and then shoves him into the warp core. And since that's unguarded by force fields now, you shouldn't touch it, I guess. And he gets real irradiated, I guess. Yeah, he gets zapped real good. He gets fried up and he dies. Um, well, he's dying. He uh, whispers something to Odo, and then he dies. O'Brien gets the ship fixed. They turn to flying around and uh, head back to Federation space, shut down the auto-destruct, and they've saved the day. At the final briefing, Odo reveals what the changeling told him with his last breath. He said, you're too late. We're everywhere. I guess we know what season four will be about. Oh, yeah, wait. End of season three. <laughs> oh, wait. That's all going to have to wait while we do Wharf stuff. <laughs> so, <sighs> what was this season three finale about? Well, it's so it's tough because I think that they really enjoyed and leaned into a paranoid could be anyone, like the enemy could be anyone mm-hmm. episode here. Yes, extended scenes of these partner these duos walking around the ship suspecting each other of being changelings. Yeah, but I think that this is probably supposed to be something about not all wars are fought with weapons or weapons are are the last resort in war, something like that. Mm. The Dominion has been... Okay, so it has been asserted in previous episodes that the Dominion has plans for all of the Alpha Quadrant powers, and we're starting to see it play out here. Yeah. And it seems like maybe even paranoia can be used as a weapon. Yes. With all of this. Because we don't know that what the Changeling said is true. Yeah. Right? That could be his last attack. Yep. Just the idea that you have to check on everyone now. This is not 
a super relevant theme for everyday life. Sure, yeah. Uh, but there is something oddly Star Trekky about it that sort of violence is the last resort, even in an unfriendly encounter, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm split on it. I had it as a five, but I think it's only a four. Uh, I actually gave it a six. And okay. I have paranoia is an effective weapon. This changeling... We're definitely operating in the same space. Yeah, this changeling stirred shit up on that ship. There's 40, I guess 46 crew, because I think when they say 47, they might be including Ambassador Whatso. Right. Um, And one enemy agent. And he stirred shit up on that ship hard and almost beat all of them. And then he promises to create more chaos with his dying words. Right. So this one dude has done a lot of damage, for sure. He, uh, I'm going to argue against your take a little bit here. Which is... If they hadn't discovered the blood test, he wins with without the paranoia at all. That's true. Or, but, uh, sorry, if they hadn't discovered the Tetrion traces, he wins without the paranoia at all. Because he already had full control of the ship, having planted that fucking device. They would have just arrested Bashir. That's true. That's true. It may not be I mean, his initial plan, but he. Right. But from the moment they're chasing him around, they are at each other's throats. That is for sure true. I just don't think that it was his intention in any way. Yeah. I think that you're right that the episode shows that paranoia is itself damaging. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that was... It's not part of the plot. Right. Um, we should mention we didn't get full notes from Ben, which is why we didn't do any for right, um, yeah. the last one. Um, moving into execution, uh, this was a find the spy bottle episode on Defiant. Um, uh, it's like a bottle episode where they build a bunch of sets. So it's not really, I mean. Were, the, were they all new sets? It's. I just couldn't so, tell. Uh, some of them were for sure. Like, probably not the Jeffries tube, but we've never seen Defiant Engineering before. Have we not? No, I don't oh, think okay. so. Um, All the Defiant shots have taken place in that runabout-sized bridge. It is a small bridge. Yeah. Uh, good sense of action and danger, a capable villain. We'll talk about it, but there's decent world-building in here that promises to affect future events in the show. And the take has plenty of support. The cons, I guess, are some of the plot developments are handled badly and don't make any sense. Character motivations are sometimes confusing. Who cares about the Zen Kathy? This is the first time I've ever yep. heard of them. You know, yep. uh, you don't get much in the way of character work, specifically from Odo, for example. But this plot seems a little bit out of the blue because the Dominion have been ignored for a long time because they've been doing so much filler. Yep. It's, it's like you did too much filler. You should have done a little bit of filler and then got back to the Dominion story. But then they did filler, 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 and then went, oh, yeah, the Dominion. Yeah, the plot is out of the blue in-universe where they don't know they're at the end of this season. Yes. It, like, makes perfect sense if you have that piece of information, that this is the last episode of season three. Yeah. Then you're like, well, it's good the Dominion's going to be involved. Yeah. Right? Uh, but, yeah, for Cisco, he doesn't know why it's suddenly firing back up again yeah so for me it was some good and some bad and i had it at a five um yeah there's a couple so there's a couple of things here you didn't really talk about it but the first scene is a lot of final commander's law oh, yeah 
uh, yeah, the dumb misdirect. Cisco's leaving for 45 seconds. Yep. So it does, it's just completely unnecessary. Yeah, Jake starts to give an introduction that doesn't make any sense in universe. It only makes sense to convince the viewer of the television show at home that something's wrong with Cisco. That, that Cisco's leaving the station for some reason, right? In universe, if you're sitting there watching that, you're going, what's he talking about? What? I don't understand. What's he saying? We were invited to Cisco's promotion. What's happening? Well, he's, yeah. he's like, Dad, there's something I've wanted to say to you for a long time, and now's as good a time as any, or something. And you're like, this is such a weird promotion introduction. Yeah. Uh, we also don't need the things that go bump in the night work with O'Brien. <laughs> yep. Uh, it doesn't do anything in-universe. Yeah, because like, O'Brien is not... Are we supposed to believe that O'Brien thinks it's odder? that Bashir's down there because he'd heard a couple of thumps and bumps earlier because Bashir being down there is weird enough yeah that's what I'm saying that it's they don't trust the viewer they don't know what to do with the viewer at home they're like right we better let them know something's not up something's not right about this mission why wouldn't it be better if we like think we're on a ride to do this one right. thing and then later we're surprised by this other thing why do we have to know from the beginning that something's amiss the fake stakes are enough to keep us paying attention. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I I wrote here that it's interesting because I can't tell in my mind whether it's good or bad mm -hmm. that no one suspects that Eddington is the saboteur. The moment they think they have a saboteur, no one is like, well, the last time we had the Defiant <laughs> out of Doc, yeah. Eddington did sabotage it. It must have now, been he that gave good a nice work. speech, he, yeah. and then Cisco said, "I trust everyone who wears the uniform." And we've just forgotten. It must about be. It. it must be the good work that he did, where he immediately admitted he was the one who did the sabotage. Yeah. So this time they must be like, ah, he would have admitted it, like he did. He <laughs> last time he was so forthright. Right. Um, but then I I wonder, are we the audience supposed to suspect him? I don't know like, when. Do they count on us to remember that other incident? Because DS9 is not that serialized. There's a couple of hints that they're trying to get there. Like, they keep talking about Cassidy Yates, even when she's not around. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I yeah, don't are know we supposed to remember that? How early they decided they were going to do an Eddington turncoats plot. Yeah, maybe I, not yet. I doubt they have it yet, because it just doesn't seem like they were deep planners. Right. And when, we, when I said Eddington was a saboteur... He did sabotage the ship, but on the orders of an admiral. Yes. It's not like it was his on his own weird initiative or for his own agenda. Also, right? so, I got a in this episode he says you don't get to you don't get to be a captain wearing a yellow uniform, and then I think back and I go, that, think about that admiral that, that, admiral he, that he worked for last yeah. like a few weeks ago. That guy was an admiral in a yellow uniform. Well, maybe he was an admiral who had never commanded a ship. We saw about fifteen commodores uh -huh. who had never commanded a ship in TOS, and Kirk doesn't think much of them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe there are other paths into the Admiralty that do not include commanding a ship. Yep. Um, I really liked O'Brien not playing Guess the Changeling, refusing to play. It was so weird that the other two kept wanting to play. <laughs> and I thought, if you read me the description of this, I would suspect that this episode was a lot of dumb action and dieharding around, but actually there was very little of that, and even in the scenes when they're like doing all that shit, they're talky scenes. Yeah. Uh, but the show is really let down by the bad changeling CG. That fight between the two changelings was Babylon 5 level or worse. Oh, it was much worse than when the two Kashas fight, for sure. Yeah. Well, like, when Odo reached over to do his attack on the guy, yeah. where he was going to gush all in him, 
it looked like Rene Aubergenois' arms were way more extended and the hands were in the wrong place during the first, like, I don't know how they did it, but it, it really was bad. Yeah. All told, I gave it a five. Okay. What about world building? Does and Kathy, we had a recent war with them in Cisco's service. Uh, normal scans can't detect changelings. Mm-hmm. Instead, we find another method that requires a really compliant changeling. Yes, you have to sit there and wait to get your blood drawn or whatever. Which means that at best it is uh, a deterrent, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that you could randomly have your blood tested would be a deterrent. But it can't detect. It's hard to detect an actual changeling by that method. Yeah, if they, I mean, surely they must be aware that they can't spill blood, even if Odo wasn't thinking about it. So maybe it's just something they have to worry about, you know? It's true. I don't know if they know about it, but they'll know about it as soon as Starfleet starts implementing any policies. But wouldn't you think they would know? Wouldn't, at some point, wouldn't they have tried to do a thing where they separated their body? Yeah, they probably know that they can do that, but since they don't have physical bodies the way normal people do the the idea that someone might draw blood may never even occur to them uh, okay right like under what circumstance would that get separated yeah i guess they would have to have been f- close with solids to understand right. that sometimes shit leaves their body yeah um we get that expanding energy pulse phaser rifle technique mm-hmm. and they didn't we never see it actually hit a changeling so we don't know that it works but we they were using it yeah and it was like it wasn't like the wide beam. it wasn't like they were sh- shooting everything with a wide beam they like shot a fat bolt that seemed like it just kind of filled the space yes although i think we only ever saw it used in jeffrey's in tubes jeffrey's tubes yeah. uh you can take blood with a hypo spray i didn't know how i felt about that it didn't make sense to me yeah i don't yeah, it has a suck feature too, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know what it's sucking it out of because they just put it up against any piece of skin. Yep. They're not like finding a vein. It's Mega and Maid, then, dude. They switched to Mega Maid to blow. Apparently, at least on the Defiant, the warp core is protected by a force field at all times that prevents you from getting radiation poisoning. Though you have to apparently have to get pretty close to it. It must be alpha radiation or something else that gets absorbed easily. Mm. I give it a five. I mean, it's mostly the Zenkethi stuff and also the Dominion infiltration, but there's world building done there. I'll start at the bottom because this part was the most important piece to me. Changelings can't bleed. Anything that leaves their body goes gooey. They can't be in multiple places at once, I guess. That's actually pretty big. Um, Yeah, because so far, changelings can do whatever the plot needs them to do. Yes, it's nice that they have one thing they can't do. Um. All right, I guess they weren't toasting with Synthale, given Cisco's reaction to Jake drinking it in the beginning. Yeah. He takes it away from him. No, it was a real bottle of 2303. Fuck, I didn't write it down. Yeah. Uh, again. Quark, Quark pretends he bought some good champagne, and he trusts that they don't actually know whether it's good or bad, I assume. Uh, again, that previous Federation Zenkathy War that Cisco remembers... Are they, are the Zenkethi as powerful as this episode implies? Odo says the Dominion knows how much a war between them would destabilize the quadrant and make it easier to move in on it. I don't know, since we've never heard of the Zenkethi until right now, I don't know what to think about it. Yeah, I don't know what the Dominion research, how good it is, but... I don't think you'd have to hang around the Federation long to realize they're not equipped to fight one war, let alone two. Well, yeah. Especially after Wolf 359 or whatever. 
Well, presumably, so they, we know that they built the Defiant in response to Wolf 359. They've probably bulked the fleet up in other ways, too. They're still expecting this Borg fight to come someday. Yeah. But yeah, it, wouldn't you expect that the Federation probably not good at fighting a war on two fronts? You never, There are never two starships in the same sector. <laughs> yep. It does seem like their territory is much larger than their ability to police right. it or whatever. Um, I just took the note that this was on Stardate 48960.9. Um, let's see. Uh, where was Cisco when he was meeting with Eddington? We talked about this earlier. I couldn't get a read on this room. And they shot it so close on both of them that I couldn't see enough of the background to be able to tell where they were. Yeah, it didn't look like the uh, bedroom where Bashir doesn't fuck Jadzia no. in that one episode. It was not Bashir's bedroom, that's for sure. <laughs> That'd be cool if they had the meeting there, though. Yeah. Uh, come meet me in Bashir's quarters. But it was like it felt like the same size as that room, so it could be a redress. Yeah. Um. All right, I got some questions about how the Defiant works. Why is Odo manning the comms? Yeah. Why is O'Brien piloting? There's not. This does not have a crew. Is the problem? How does this work? O'Brien didn't bring any engineers. Just him and Dax. It is. But then in the last thing. scene, he's got another guy. Oh yeah, that's true. There's a there's a third guy down there. Everything about what everyone was doing on this ship, the whole I was confused by all of it. The Defiant was given to Cisco, mm-hmm. but I think just the Defiant. No crew. Yeah. No crew. So he's just got to use. Isn't Eddington there specifically for the Defiant, though? I think he's there partially to to watch it. He's like, he's partially the Defiant's guard. Ah, I, that could be. I think after uh, Fake Riker took it, they went, hey. <laughs> I don't yeah, think your shit, changeling's doing a good job. Shit like uh, Kira do it running the self-destruct play yeah. really tells you there's no crew for this ship. No, they just sent it along and said, use your crew that you got on DS9. That's all you get. And then he had to say, there's there's eight Starfleet people well, on DS. We've met them all, and there are eight of them. Didn't he have to convince them to let him have it? Probably. I think he talks about in that first episode how he had to like pull in some favors to get it or something. And they gave it to him because it doesn't quite work right. It's not so very maybe. good. It's not perfect. But it does have a cloaking device anyway. Um, yeah, well, they got rid of that Romulan character. That's too bad. Yes, it still has the cloaking device. I think a Romulan character could have been interesting. Um, Captain Intebi of the USS Ulysses. Uh, again, 47 people on board for this mission. Tetrion traces on the saboteur from messing with whatever warp system was sabotaged. I wasn't paying enough attention to f- see which one that was. Um, Odo says if you scan him while he's a rock, he'll just detect a rock, which tracks from what we've seen previously. <laughs> well, we know he'll weigh as much as whatever the rock that he looks like weighs. It is pretty marvelous, though. It is, it is marvelous. It's essentially magic. Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, I mean, it, it tracks because, look, I assume he was scanning all over that fucking cave when he was there with Kira. Oh, yeah. And he only sure. detected Kira. Yeah. Um, it's, but it is wild to think about. Uh, a reminder that it is claimed that no changeling has ever harmed another. That must mean since they became a united people. Like, I find it hard to believe that in their biological record, none have ever harmed another. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, Star Trek is a world in which all all governments that we don't spend a lot of time with are united, one world, uh-huh. never been trouble, always been this way, it, governments. That's why it's always a mind blow when they meet a planet that has like two segments. Right. And they're like, what? 
How did you get to space? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because of the Great Link. Maybe they didn't even start out taking solid form and they always were just together. Yeah, maybe they sort of evolved consciousness as the Great Link, and maybe that's why. Yeah, it'd be weird that they have separate conscience, con- consciousnesses then. That is weird. I don't know. Everything about it is weird. Yeah. Uh, again, phasers with expanding energy pulses to sweep the whole ship with phaser fire and two-man teams so one can watch the other one. The beginning of what will become standard protocol for changeling anti-infiltration, maybe. Two doesn't really seem like enough for me. No, because the, the changeling just has to be behind. For one thing, the ship was small and they still kept getting separated. Yeah. What were they doing? The whole it's point good, was that you were supposed to watch your partner. It's a good question. When Cisco pops out of that tube and then Kira and the Bolian appear after having been separated. And, and then, then O'Brien and Ed- oh, I'm sorry, Odo yeah. and Eddington appear after having been separated. <laughs> like, what it's is everyone wild. doing? It's a tiny ship. Did you guys forget the one thing we said not to do? <laughs> that it puts them in a real pickle, because then they gotta go up and fucking blood test everybody. What if if the Bolian had run into Odo and Eddington, yeah. he would have been taken right to the brig, right? Yeah, for sure, until they could figure out. That was out. the rules? Yeah. It's it's wild how bad they were at this. But again, this is their first taste of it. I, I think what you're seeing is, like, they'll take this back, and they'll be like, here's what we did. It kind of didn't work. We're going to need more security training. Everyone's going to get the post-mortem invitation and uh-huh. like start internally clenching and practicing their defense of what they did speeches. And- <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> um, the modified phasers heat up the air and everybody starts sweating. Um, we did all the changeling can't bleed stuff. Cisco straight burned a fat line in the hull when he shot at the changeling <laughs> and missed. So I guess he turned his phaser back up. Yeah. He for sure changed the setting on his. He told everybody to keep it on low, and then he turned his way up. He turned his to dolphin carving. <laughs> yeah, he he fucking scorched that wall. Uh, McCamus three as in Kathy settlement. Uh, Cisco just shouts his authorization codes out on the bridge. What if the changeling can impersonate him well enough to fool the computer and now has his codes? Yeah, well, again, Otto never reported it, but we he they should he should already suspect from Bashir. That he could do voices. Yeah. Or Kira. He doesn't know about Kira. Odo didn't report that. No, no. Oh, I thought you were saying Odo should know. But yes, Cisco should Oh, yeah, Odo should, should for sure. Yeah, yeah. But Odo doesn't care about things like authorization codes. <laughs> or remembering to tell people stuff about changelings. <laughs> right, 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 right. Just any of it. Anything at all. Uh, I agree. It was a five um, because of some of the changeling stuff. Um, which, if they're smart, they will take forward into future episodes. I, I, look... We're cheating. We know that there's going to be a lot of who's a changeling infiltrator. Let's do blood tests. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff goes forward. Yes, but I I would give it more if I thought for sure it would move forward based on watching this episode. Right. If, if I was watching this first time, I could only be like, if they're smart, they would take some of this stuff forward. Right. But will we see it? Who knows? It's hard to tell. We might have five more Dax episodes. That's right. Um, characterization. You did world building already, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Cisco got a fat promotion. He has still only taken Cassidy Yates out on between one and three dates. He says he says one, and then he says two, and then maybe three. Right. Dax says three or whatever. And she's counting because she wants to know when they fuck, I guess. Yeah, he's going to take her to see some old World Series game on the holodeck when he sees her next, which I guess is how he closes the deal. Let's go watch a baseball game. 
that's the Netflix half of his plan for sure. Yeah. Jake's too young for booze. Thank God he's not in the rest of this episode. Dax knows exactly where Cassidy Yates is at all times. She just, he's yeah. like, he's like, I don't even know where she's she is. She's keeping track. And she's like, oh, I know where she is. Don't worry. Max is trying, just trying to wing, man. Just still dealing with all that Curzon inside her. Yeah. And then she plays it off like it's O'Brien and Bashir and Kira that are really curious. Right. <laughs> it's their fault that she's so nosy. Uh, Odo seems to know his Dominion counterpart and how he thinks. But then he says he doesn't later in the episode. He still doesn't use phasers. He really didn't want to harm this other changeling, but the guy was doing a call him on him, so... Yeah, he didn't have a lot of options. That makes it tough. One of those two was for sure going to be the first changeling to yes. uh, kill another. <laughs> yep. Uh, Eddington thinks you can just think like a Rusky if you're, like, originally from Russia or something. <laughs> he really does. He really <laughs> gets right to the point with Odo, and he's like, you're a changeling, think like a changeling, find the changeling. You're one of them. Go find him. Yeah, he's not self-aware about it in any way. Nope. He doesn't, like, try to rephrase it like, okay, but you know what's possible for a changeling yes. to do in a, in a way that I don't. And even what that I meant would to be say, helpful. To, Instead, he's like, I don't know, can't you summon up your inner changeling <laughs> and figure out where you'd go? It's like, oh, fuck you, dude. Just a four for me on characterization. Uh, boy, we are almost in perfect lockstep this week. I'm a four also. Okay. Um, all of the performances were very tense and heightened in this one. Mm-hmm. I thought that Kira came off the worst during the paranoia. Boy, she really did not handle it well. She didn't handle it well. Like the Bolian was worse than her, but he's a junior officer of some kind. She should right. be like much better. Well, she really should given her background. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the only one of these people who has been in... Fought, like, a guerrilla war and shit. Right, fought a guerrilla war. Maybe there were infiltrators. Like, not everyone who said they were working with the Resistance was a good guy, probably. Yeah. She, she just... She came off the worst. I thought O'Brien came off the best. <laughs> yeah, he was focused. Uh, Eddington is a kind of a butt kisser. Mm-hmm. And uh, really in a way, seems to kind of think of himself as uh, parallel to Cisco. We're in the same place as Cisco. Yeah. He can definitely have a real casual career conversation with him. Yep. And uh, Oda was uncomfortable just the whole time. He really seemed out of out of place this week. I think it makes a little bit of sense once the changeling is discovered, but I'm not sure that it correlates. Yeah. So. And again, I, it would have been good to just like Sit down with him for a scene. Yep. And be like, what does this mean? But no, yeah, you, if, you don't get if, any of that. If they're going to be everywhere, are you going to keep running into these people? Like, and you just killed one. And also you killed one. You killed a guy. And although you don't know for sure, it's just an assertion that everyone's made. You might be a real big criminal in their <laughs> eyes now. <laughs> That's right. They may not. Uh, they may not capture you if they get you. You might have closed a big door there. Yeah. I got some quick hitters. Do it. Jake's already like six foot three. He's a giant. What does Cisco think a glass of champagne is going to do to him? I don't know, man. And I, I understand that recently Cisco had the traumatic experience of hearing Jake declare his love for Kira. 
too recent. Like I, it wasn't. The, I get it. It was. It, what was it? That even this season? I don't even know. But it was too recent. I think it whenever was this it was, it was too recent. Still, yes. he might have reason to think if he gets a little drunk, there might be some stuff in there. Oh God! I hope he doesn't carry any of that Kira stuff. Right? Canonically, him. that's all real, right? No, that happened. All of those feelings are real. That's what we're told. And every they were just time. coming out because of Luxana Troy's madness. That's what we're told in every episode where something goes wrong. That it's really your, your those are your real feelings. You just couldn't control them. I could not think of one good reason why Cisco's log wouldn't still be the commander's log. Was that not short for Station Commander's log? No, he's man. not the captain of Deep Space Nine. That's not a, a thing. No, he's gonna. He he. You got the ensign's logs going on down there too. Yeah, you got ch- chief chief of operation and chief petty chief petty officer's log. Like when Data gives a log entry, it's science officer's log. Right. It's not Lieutenant Commander's log. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we've heard First Officer's log. We've heard all of that. So that fake out is real dumb because now it's, oh, it's the end of my Commander's log and it's my first Captain's log. What? That doesn't make any sense. You have the same position. Agreed. Uh, A couple of scenes, Cisco suddenly can't remember how everyone's been pronouncing Zenkathy the whole time (laughs) and says Zenkathy a bunch of times. Look, he seems to be the only one it happens to. Not only was it the first time that the viewer has ever heard of them, it is the first time that the actor Avery Brooks has ever heard of them. (laughs) I get it, but he gets it right in some scenes and wrong in others, so that one always bugs me. I am... I'm crazy surprised that no one's talked about it so far. The thing that is the worst about this whole episode, Mm. Cisco accepts a mission from a Federation ambassador without checking, without once calling Starfleet because he doesn't call Necheyev one time. The guy must tell him it's on radio silence or something, but he doesn't, he doesn't question whatever he hears from this guy. Yeah. Like he's taking the ship and crew out with this guy and he hasn't, by the way, looked into whether there was even a Zenkathy coup. Yeah, you were talking about getting ready to defend your actions. Like, what's he going to tell Starfleet? Uh, for sure. He's going to be reduced two steps in <laughs> He's like, this. he just got promoted to captain. He's going to be a commander that's a, again. <laughs> that's a big whoopsie. He almost started a war, yeah. and the whole thing could have been discovered if he had called home and said, all right, I'm getting ready to take the Defiant out to the Zenkathy border. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Someone died there. At least one dude yeah, that's died. that's true. Someone got killed. And it was just because he didn't even he didn't even think twice about anything. Two steps. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And uh, I was very gratified when they used the solution I have always proposed, stun everything. Yeah, right? They only do it every once in a while where they'll just zap everyone in the room and figure it out later. And they should do it more in situations of dire need. I gave best actor to Cisco and worst actor to the Bolian. Bolians are real jerks, huh? They they come off as real assholes. We haven't met one that wasn't a jerk in some way. We haven't met the main one yet. We've met the cadet. Yeah, Tuvok's buddy. Tu, Tuvok uh, makes oh, one yeah. run around, and he's a jerk. Yeah, so that guy was <clears throat> based on Mott. Yes. Uh, the cadet wasn't. We haven't seen Mott yet. Which cadet? Oh, the lady. Yeah, Allegiance. Well, she was fake. Um, right. Uh, 
when we meet Mott, then we'll understand why DS9 does this, but it's still. It's it's a real Star Wars idea. The one Bolian was like that, so. Yeah. All the Bolians gotta be just like that. Well, it's like Mendon and Mordok or whatever. Those guys are fucking twins because they're played by the same guy or whatever. Well, they're from the same Geosphere or whatever the fuck you said. I was just gonna say Pod, but yeah. (laughs) Whatever, (laughs) right. They're Pouch Brothers, right? But at least in that one, Wesley was confused. Uh, you got some quickies? Uh, sure. We already talked about Jake's dumb 10-second mislead uh, in the opening here. This changeling isn't very quiet, huh? Why is he making those banging noises all over O'Brien's area? This show only had to do a couple of things different to score way more execution points. The dumb mislead is very dumb. Cisco not checking in is dumb. Yep. And this changeling making all these noises is dumb. He's not stealth. He's <laughs> like that unit commander from Voyager. He's banging around like Brown. Yeah. Banging like Brown. Hold on. Yeah, I know. Just go ahead. Write it down. If this were the greatest generation, you'd do a ringing bell sound when the title gets said. Oh, well, we're, we're way better than that show. And we don't. I mean, may- we do way less maybe. production. <laughs> yes, they do a lot more production. And based on the knowledge. One show at a time. Based on the knowledge of Star Trek, we are. We fucking outclass those dudes. Not even close. Um, the Defiant gets stolen a lot, huh? Yeah, this is what happens in this episode, for sure. I'm betting this thing's been stolen, like, nine times off-screen, and this <laughs> shit is being reverse-engineered in empires all over the galaxy. Everyone's just, uh, like, yeah. making little defiance and shit. Yeah, we don't... I don't know how the Klingons got the blueprints, but they've got them. <laughs> yeah. We know how the Romulans have them. <sighs> they mostly ignore Odo in this whole episode, like the other characters. And at one point, they say there's no point in testing Odo, but, like... What's their plan if the changeling turns out to be who they thought was Odo? There's just nothing. They just this method will not help them in any way. They don't even try to like restrict him or anything. Like, no offense, but we can't really test you, and we don't know who it is. So you need to go behind this force field for a while or something. They're just like, I don't know if it's him. We're fucked. I guess it's possible too. The only evidence that it's not Odo is that Odo was on the bridge when the ambassador did his transformation. Later, Odo. Says that he can't be in two places at once, but that could be a lie uh-huh. if, if Odo's a changeling. The only reason they don't is so that we can have that great two Odo showdown later on. Um, And again, what's the changeling's plan when he leads him right to real Bashir? Um, one Odo telling the other Odo that anybody could have gotten the skinny on O'Brien's lamb stew is pretty wild. Yeah, it really is. Who would be watching this slob eat stew and noting the details about how he didn't bring a fork? I forget. What's happening? Was that... Which Odo gave that as evidence? Fake Odo says, Last (laughs) time we went kayaking, you brought lamb stew. And then real Odo says, But you forgot to bring a fork. And then the other Odo, I think I have this right. I may have it wrong. <laughs> other Odo goes, anyone could have had that information. And I just, if I'm O'Brien, I'm like, why? <laughs> you guys have all been watching me eat? I mean, theoretically, yes. Theoretically, anybody could have watched me eat lamb stew. But, like, why would that be part of a mission? Uh, yeah, what's the real explanation? Odo's keeping a real a real private diary, <laughs> real personal diary where he writes down all boring shit about... <laughs> Often, Chief O'Brien made me turn my hand into a fork. <laughs> he often, it's true. It's probably is how he ate it. 
Chief O'Brien made me turn into a fork. <laughs> I, my whole body turned into a fork so he could he eat. He kept with putting me. me into his mouth like it was nothing. It's an amazing experience. Also, can you experience anything when you're a fork? <laughs> how do you know how to turn back? I don't want to talk about it. Anyway. It was highly sexual, but I don't know how to talk to him about it. <laughs> um, I just... Uh... And you know what? That's all. That's all the quick hitters I got. I don't know where to go from there. I just, I suddenly got stuck in my head about how when he's a glass, how does he have the consciousness to know to turn back into something else? How does his consciousness yeah. work? Uh, how can he see? How does like, anything work? It's when we see, when we meet, when we meet his old dad, Mora, Dr. Mora, yeah, what's yep, his name? Yeah, Mora, I think that's right. You, you may know him as, uh, Admiral Jarok. Uh, I know him as Jatrell. Or as Jatrell. Uh, it was like he sensed us. He couldn't see. Yeah, right? he was like a weird puddle, but he could sense us. Like it, they have they wrote this character with no rules at the beginning. Yep. So, and then ten episodes later, or whatever, there was like he has to turn back into a liquid every sixteen uh-huh. hours, and that's it. I'm just like, good thing he has consciousness when he's all these things, because the first time one of them tried to be a rock, that would have been it. It would have been a rock forever. Right. Or like for at least for 16 hours and then it would have been a puddle for a minute. Maybe he gets his consciousness back when he puddles. But yeah, it'd be funny if he turned into a rock and then it was like 16 hours later. He went, oh, God. What okay, happened? that was a mistake. Never doing that again. I'm not becoming oh. a rock. Well, stupid. now I know the sweet release of Oblivion. <laughs> All right. How many have we done? Three? Three. All right, Second shit. place last week was Enterprise. And uh, this week we watched... The Forgotten. I keep wishing that they would add some sting to that. To that fucking Brian Adams, Rod Stewart mix. We're going to have to hear that 29 more times. Oh, did they change the theme when it becomes Star Trek Enterprise in season four? I don't think it changes anymore. I think we're, okay. I think this is the final version. Uh, we're going to have to hear that 29 more times because I think it's, it's almost mathematically impossible for Voyager to overtake them. But be, before that remaining episodes. Yeah. Well, they dug themselves quite a hole. We can consider uh, maybe when they drop out, we can just start using the Voyager theme again. Because <laughs> it's originally, actually not a bad theme. It's a punishment for Voyager for being worse than Enterprise. But once Enterprise is done, yeah, might as well. But anyway, uh, Archer is giving a eulogy slash psych up speech in maybe a shuttle bay. Okay. And he's real angry. Yeah. And he tells them all about how they're going to go on and succeed in this mission yeah he's for themselves and for earth and for the 18 crew that have been lost i'll blow some of my notes already i got some real dictator vibes from archer in this teaser he is like walking along on this catwalk or something up above this dirty sad crew and he's pacing around like a real fucking mussolini up there for real that's that's the vibe i got and i understand that this is like, very little time has passed since the last episode, mm-hmm. and very little time has passed since... I mean, I guess a couple of days have passed Yeah, since he was captured. So, 
but he is so different in these last couple of episodes from all of the rest of Archer that we've seen yeah. that I keep getting vibes like it's not really him. <laughs> That's right. That, Except what I'm, a dolphin boy really sent back. Almost a hundred percent sure it is him. Yeah. And he's just has made an acting decision that now he's angry. Well, they we're we're only nine hundred episodes from the end of this arc. It just keeps going. Yeah, the ship is 10 hours from their rendezvous with Degra. Yep, using that stolen warp coil. Right. Uh, Archer and Trip have a talk about one of the dead crewmen who was in Trip's section. He wants her to he wants Trip to write a letter back to her family. And Trip seems real reluctant about it. Mhm. He doesn't want to write this letter. Archer made it his problem, but I guess he's not allowed to make it Rostov's problem. That's right. Yeah, Archer could have written that letter himself, but no. He could have, but... Oh, I don't know. There's 17 other dead people. Maybe he's got to write at least one. Yeah. Um, T-Pole goes and checks in with Phlox. Her withdrawal symptoms haven't reemerged, but she still feels like she doesn't have emotional control. And he tells her, this might be normal for you. You're just going to have to live with this. Uh, You've got some emotions now. Yeah. Um, Enterprise gets to the coordinates. There's like a spatial anomaly field. They get mad about the whole thing. But then Degra shows up and they follow him through to uh, the outside of a sphere, I guess. Mm -hmm. This is where Degra wants to have this meeting. He needs more proof. He's let Archer escape because he knew the reptilians would kill him. Yeah. But he can't go to the council with the weird enamel pin that Archer gave him and the half explanation, right? Yes, uh, and he has his arboreal sidekick. Yeah, I looked it up. Hold on, that dude's name is Janar. Okay, because he's been in a lot, but I don't know what to do. He's been him. in a bunch of them, but no one has said his name out loud, I think. so. Well, when we buy the toy, we'll finally learn his name's Janar. Right. I think it's Janar. Yeah. So he and Janar are, are going to are going to need to get proof to bring to the council, and it's got to happen quick because the weapon is days away from being launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trip and T-Pole are talking in the mess hall about this letter that he's got to write when there's an explosion and something starts venting into space. We know that as in, the crew. I mean, it's the, in the Yeah, they don't know that it's venting into space. Yeah. An undiscovered small leak is the dumb B-plot of this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, C-plot, I guess, actually. Yes, I was going to say C-plot as well. Archer shows Degra and Janar the corpses of the dead reptilians from Detroit and the weapon that they made. And they already knew from talking to the ghost lady that the reptilians had gone ahead and tried to make this weapon, mm-hmm. but none of this evidence indicates time travel in any way. And the arboreal guy is asking all the good questions. He's like, okay, yeah. but the time travel though, tell us about that. How do you do that? Because that's the part that matters because that's the part that corroborates your assertion that in the future we're supposed to work together and the real threat is the spheres mm-hmm. and the expanse yeah. and not... Not just that the reptilians are dicks or whatever. Not just that the reptilians tried to kill you in another way yeah. because the council still thinks you need killing... So we need more. Yep. Uh, uh, Trip has not been sleeping while Phlox relieves him of duty. He has a bad dream about the dead woman. I love dreams. 
who sort of in the dream he begins to identify with his dead sister what he has a dead sister he has a dead sister jeez meanwhile Flox is now showing degra and janar the logs of that dude they captured from the expanse yeah three or four episodes five episodes ago whenever it was the guy who was hanging out in the goo sort of reintroducing the idea that they're trying to make this whole region inhabitable for them because they're from a different universe, et cetera, et cetera. So he's showing them all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next logical step is to show Degra the evidence they've gathered on the network of spheres and Tipol and Trip are doing that. But Trip, uh, <laughs> Trip's a little crazy now. Well, that dream from messed not, him up. From not sleeping and that dream, and I guess he's been thinking about his sister because he keeps yelling at Degra about his sister. <laughs> and Florida. Florida. Specifically you my Florida. Sister. Have you heard of Florida? You must have been real excited when you saw my sister get killed, et cetera. Et cetera. I like catfish! Uh, luckily, this dumb thing is interrupted by the hull breach finally rupturing. Yeah. And so now Trip and Reed have to do a useless spacewalk to shut off the plasma feed. Reed disobeys an order to go back inside and gets heroically hyperthermia sapped. for a minute. Yeah. Uh, and then back in the airlock, uh, Degra does a real cursory, oh, hope he's okay, mm-hmm. and Trip trip snaps, finally, and he's like, what's one more human death, etc., etc., etc. Archer's right there like, you destroyed you, the citrus bowl! You gotta knock this off. We're trying to do diplomacy now. Right. I know I'm still super angry, but you've gotta do diplomacy. Um... It turns out that Degra has a lot of information about the Sphere Network. For instance, he knows of an additional 25 or so spheres. Mm-hmm. But he does never been inside one. But luckily, Archer has. So we can give him the scans of the inside of one of the spheres. They have a little scene about these scans seem awful good for a military vessel. And then he says, well, we used to be an exploration ship, etc. Yeah, well, maybe <coughs> if, if we succeed, it can be again or whatever. <clears throat> exactly even though i'll just jump in again with some of my notes as we talked about in the previous one what happened after the borg attacked earth they beefed up and became hella military well, i don't know why the assumption here is once they solve this they'll go back to being a peaceful exploration thing <laughs> wouldn't they beef up defenses around earth and like create a bunch of warships and shit yeah for real to avoid seems... more floridas it seems oddly late in archer's journey to be like, oh, things can still go back to the way they were. Yeah, I don't I don't think you'd get blasted and 7 million people die and, like, you got four starships and then you just go, yeah, we're just going to go back to exploring space. Maybe he wants to believe that because he just did piracy a minute ago. <laughs> God. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> a reptilian ship shows up. Yep. And Archer convinces Degra to help them fight in what would be an otherwise hopeless battle. Yeah, because they still and- jacked up. Right, and with his help, they disable the reptilian ship, and then Degra goes one step further and blows it up, because mm. it's like, oh, they would have talked to the council, and I've got a lot of ass covering to do. Yeah. Also, he don't like those guys. Yep. Um, T'Pol brings Trip some Zindi power cells to f- help finish repairs, and he finally breaks down about his sister. And despite her newfound emotions, she has nothing to say. <laughs> That's right, well... <laughs> It just felt like there was going to be a payoff there, but there wasn't. Not for her. No, she just comforts him in the you know a pretty bland way. Right. Uh, Degra wants Archer to speak to the council. He thinks that's the only way they can resolve this. Mm. He gives him the coordinates to get to the council, 
And they, since they can't get there fast enough going through normal space, he gives them a subspace corridor that, that will allow them to get there before the weapon launches, and then a cryptic warning that the nebula is guarded by a hostile species. Oh, yeah. Great. By which he means next week is a filler episode. Yeah, this plot will never resolve. We're always like 10 feet from the finish line and we never go anywhere. And then Trip uh, records his letter to Ensign Taylor's parents, although it's still kind of about him. And his fucking sister and shit. Relax, dude. Matthew, what's this one about? All right, so a plot. Even on a military mission, the most effective weapon is still dialogue. Archer wins over a segment of the Zindi Council through mainly discussion and negotiation. Yep, and he shows him the evidence he's collected. He knows where it's strong and where it's weak, etc. B-plot, you can't overcome a trauma unless you finally confront it. Trip finally, I guess we are supposed to believe, maybe puts his feelings about his dead sister to rest at the end of this episode. And he tells us, he tells us in the episode he's been trying not to think about it and he's been avoiding the issue. Though I really feel like we've heard a lot of it. I heard a lot of it. He's been trying to think of her as just one of the millions of people who died and not think about how, what it means to his life personally that his sister's not a part of it. I am not ever going to rewatch Enterprise. Yeah. I suspect that. That is not what the evidence would show on a <laughs> but apparently that's what he's been doing. Yeah. Um, I couldn't think of any way to connect the two plots that made sense. Uh, I ended up giving him a bonus point for covering multiple concepts. The B plot's something that everyone can use in their lives, but it's not exactly a hot take. The A plot seems to confirm that the Federation credo and Roddenberry's dream are still present even in the dark aughts. That Archer's trying to get this, this... His only way to get this done is through discussion. They are for sure setting up the idea that this brutal conflict is going to be ended by dialogue and not by Enterprise blowing up the weapon. Right. So I gave it a six. Ooh. You've given three sixes so far this week for takes. Have I given more than a six in any category, though? That's why I, I keep looking back and I'm like, hey, I'm giving points. And I'm like, but nothing's uh, so really far, good. No. No, so far, and in fact, all the sixes have been intake, so nothing higher than a five anywhere else. Uh, What about you? Um, Yeah, it's, uh, I just, what you have as the B plot is what I have as the plot of the episode, which is you can't get back to business as usual by ignoring your trauma. You have to deal with it first. Mm -hmm. Um, Trip has been apparently trying to bury his feelings about his sister, and now it's caused him to explode. Enterprise has to finish this before there's any hope of them becoming a ship of exploration again. Right. Uh, presumably, T-Pole has to come face to face with what she's done with her trellium addiction mm. before before life returns to normal for her. It's not something that you could just... She was hoping it would just go away on its own. It's not going to, right? Right. It's fine. It's not a new take. It, it reminds me a lot of the bonding. Yeah. Yeah, except that in the little bonding, boy has to learn all about death or whatever. In the bonding, it's even more, it's a better take, better episode, because it's you can't shield him from these things. Yeah. Like, he won't be well into, these are different individual people discovering this and not talking about it. Yes. It's one of the, I don't know if the bonding scored well, but that take is stronger in that one. Well. I gave it five, though. Um, We know the bonding must have scored well because it had the blue room. 
<laughs> it did have the blue room. The blue room's important I mean, to me. We can check now that I have it ranked. Oh, that's right. We got the rankings up. Uh, hey, everybody, there's yeah, another tab. The bonding scored 42. Eh, that's pretty good. That's that's solid. They won that, their week. That's, uh, only 25, 20, no, thir- only 31 episodes have scored higher than the bonding. The, so. the bonding won that week, and also it was the same week as the Omega Glory, which scored eight total points. <laughs> that's right. Hey, it's our all-time worst. <laughs> It got zero from both of us in premise and execution. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and you don't you don't do automatic no-takes. No, I so. just also felt it was very bad execution-wise. <laughs> yeah, that'll tell you. Um yes, it's a five for me. Like okay. I think it's a I think it's a take and it's something that people can use. Like the things aren't gonna go away unless you deal with them. Yeah. It's just not novel. No, I don't think anyone would consider that a hot take. <clears throat> no. Uh well, how did they execute? Uh well, we got mismanaged minutes. Yeah, once again, as as per usual. Yeah. Uh, instead of extending the useful scenes where Trip and Tupal are talking about emotions or advancing the plot with Degra, we get the Reed. Adventure. We get Trip and Reed going out into Babylon Five to fix a plasma leak. I'm not even kidding. I spaced out so bad, I didn't wake up until Reed was getting pulled back in. Yeah, I cared so little about what was happening with that leak. Well, here's what happened. He couldn't get a panel off. He had to cut a panel off, and he was just getting too hot. He got real and hot. And then they fixed it. It's a real hot boy. He needs to go inside. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, the scene doesn't even do, like, when they come back from that and they're in the airlock, that's where Trip finally snaps at Degra. Yes. You don't need that. Yeah. You can have him snap at uh, Degra. So well, he already earlier, did in another scene. Earlier when a dude got plasma burned. Yeah. You could have had Degra say the same, I hope he gets better, and had Trip do the same, what's one more human? Like, even yes. if you want to keep the content of the way he snaps at him the same, you don't need this scene. Yeah, if this whole th- fucking leak that we've been tracking the whole episode that has that long scene with Reed outside is just for that, that is a huge waste yeah. of minutes. It's and mismanaged. I can't think of sure. anything else that scene could have been for. Right. Um, And his dream sequence is very dumb. Yep. It's very... When people... Jordy had a real dumb dream sequence a few weeks ago where we saw him sleeping in his uniform we heard without his Data's, visor. We heard Data's thing again. He wakes up in his uniform, looks at his visor with his <laughs> eyes that apparently can see, puts it on and says, I was right. This is a worse dream sequence scene. It was the worst scene in that episode by so far. It was so baffling. But yes, this is worse. Because this is a scene where, first of all, there are no cinematic indications that it's a dream no until we see the dead woman and then they have a normal speech that's not dreamlike in any way and then at the end trip knows that the two are connected so i don't know whatever yeah it's very bad uh degra's warning about the aliens gave guarding the nebula gave me the filler shivers for next week yeah for sure especially since i know that two weeks from now is one called the council Oh, man. Uh, and the device of Trip having to write the letter home is odd. Was Taylor the only engineer killed? Who's writing the other 17 letters? Why is this only a problem Trip is facing? Why does it have to happen now? Yeah. It seems like they couldn't think of a better way to explain why Trip was suddenly having a problem with Degra. Yeah. So at the end of the day, because of that and the mismanaged minutes, I'm only giving it four. But frankly, it wasn't that terrible. Yeah, uh, here's what I got. 
Degra is a somewhat likable frenemy, but yeah, it's in characterization for me because if that dude isn't a character by now, no, no, he is. What I'm saying is he hasn't done or said anything that would make the viewer at home forget about Florida. No, and he does something in this episode that reminds you, yes, that he is not a moral man. That he, although he doesn't necessarily believe in this WMD he's building, he will kill someone just to save trouble. Yeah, I thought it was a good idea to give him the sidekick, the arboreal guy on the council who can both temper his character's enthusiasm about Archer and also create like a more realistic warming of relations. So I I like that he tows that guy around everywhere. I do. I agree. I think Jannar, although it's weird that he has no name or personality (laughs) traits. Yeah. Uh, I agree that he's doing useful work. Um, as for Trip, it wasn't the best executed trauma story. Uh, I, the final scene where he broke down with T-Pool, I didn't think it was that terrible uh, on his part. Um, dream sequence, rough. Oh, no, no. he's I, I, Again, we haven't done actor rankings. We won't do it until TOS drops out, but I think he's the best actor on the show. Yeah. And so he can handle emotional scenes better than anyone else. And then now we're off on another dumbass adventure to some nebula that we've already been told has a dangerous species in it that prey on people. They're just warning us. It's like they're telling you guys, don't watch next week if you don't want <laughs> yeah, to. Tune in the week after next, see what's up. We got some good shit coming in two weeks. Don't worry about next week so much. It's so wild. Um, for me, it was a five. I, I didn't really mind it, but there's some stuff that they just... We're not getting a lot of... <sighs> It's like, this is the shortest show, and they shoehorned eight minutes of nothing in with that fucking plasma leak. This whole crop of episodes this week, I didn't... There weren't any aspects of any of the episodes that I thought took advantage and knocked it out of the park. This is the idea of the plasma leak. So, we've talked... Again, that scene doesn't need to happen for that. The plasma leak is Trip's tension building until it explodes, right? That is the visual... That's the path. They're happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know we see that Trip's having some difficulty. We see the plasma leak. The plasma leak gets a little bigger. He has that dream. The plasma leak explodes. He comes back in and explodes at Degra. That is the filmmaking 101 work that they're doing. Right. It's unnecessary. Yep. Uh, world building. EPS control specialist. Was that lady's job? Right. Does Phlox have a staff this week? He has some people helping him in sickbay, and they got blue blue stripes. Right. I don't know what they do, but I ain't never seen anyone else in there except him. So Our understanding of the crew is not... For a show that has done a lot of world building where they talk about how the toilets work and stuff, <laughs> yeah. they have not really bothered to explain the crew, and I think that's because they wanted to be free to just kill people and do stuff, whatever. Yep. We don't really know how it works on TNG either, but... Do uh, people still buy cars in 21-whatever-it-is? Tripp says he should never try to buy a car from Phlox. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of weird that anybody has any hope about Starfleet's mission being exploration anytime soon after being proven to be so vulnerable to attack. Wouldn't the much more likely outcome be a beefed-up military with extra warships and defenses? Well, especially because the other nearest race, the Andorians, is just at war with the Vulcans. All the time. Also... The Klingons are pretty warlike. It does seem like And by the like way, the Klingons tried be... to attack Earth. Remember? Right, they did try they to attack Earth. They followed Enterprise to Earth and got chased off by the three starships that were there or whatever. Exactly. It does seem like 
what should happen after the expanse is Starfleet becomes very militaristic and Captain Garth becomes a big hero. Right. And then later on, the universe changes out from under him and Picard and Kirk has to be like, uh, you know, that's not really what we did. Yeah, there was, this guy was great when we had a use for him. Right. And it was a different time now. Uh, Degra says he's more concerned with swaying the aquatics on the council than the reptilians. Uh, he says it's because they're somewhat enigmatic. I'd guess that's because he knows he'll never convince the reptilians. Yeah, he's just trying to get to 3-2. Yeah. And no one talks about the insectoids. It just seems assumed that they'll do whatever the reptilians want to yeah, do. Yeah, like they in their pocket. Which is, which is wild, because doesn't it seem like the reptilians would probably eat those guys? <laughs> yeah, I would think that because he doesn't eat, that because they don't eat the pigs, that he would like the Jews. <laughs> exactly. So why does the pig hate the Jews? That's a very good question. <laughs> Uh, From Brian Fellow's Safari <laughs> Goats got devil eyes. Goats got devil eyes. I don't like his hairdo. Uh, the Zindi have mapped, so I think he says 78 spheres, as opposed right. to the 50 whatever T-Pol's calculations had indicated. Um, I had it as a two. I could see it as a three if there was a little bit more about the inner workings of the council, but I think we just were leaning on what we'd already learned about the council previously. I also gave it a two because, and I think the first thing I wrote is almost everything here is a rehash of past episodes. Yeah. Uh, we learned that there are at least 78 spheres connected by subspace networks, but Degra has never seen inside one and doesn't really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the assumption is in this is that the aquatics are the swing species on the council right now, yes. or at least with regard to this. And they already helped him. I mean, last week they fucking uh, sent Archer back. Right. You know? So I don't know. Yeah, I guess Derek could think that was maybe as far as they were willing to go, or he used a personal favor, or they were swayed by the argument, you know, the reptilians will just kill them, right. kill them or something like that, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's, that's what we get. It's only worth a two. Presumably when we get to the council, we'll see more. God knows what's going to happen next week. Yeah. In terms of characterization. Yeah. Uh, we have mostly seen Degra feeling uneasy about his WMD program. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not full-on Greylick or whatever, who, when he learns about it, sabotages all the shit. But he Greylick, is... who we had to hear about nine times after that? Right. But have not seen. No. Uh, but we've definitely seen a lot of hand-wringing scenes where he wonders if he's doing the right thing, but he's going to do it, right? Yeah. Um... But having him blow up the reptilian ship here, I think, helps define his character quite a bit mm -hmm. and show that he, he really is a man of expedience and not of morality. Yep. It also means that Archer is going to have to convince him about the time travel stuff and that an emotional appeal isn't going to work. Yeah, it means if he fucks up, he's going to get killed. <laughs> if he doesn't right, convince exactly. him that they're all fucked. Exactly. Yeah. I wondered if Archer was supposed to be angry I think this is probably not it because I think it's too sophisticated motivation and it's not well supported. But I wondered if he was supposed to be angry because he doesn't like having to take this diplomatic approach suddenly with the weapon out there mm. because his whole, his mental picture of what was going to happen was he was going to blow up the weapon. Yeah. I mean, hell, he put himself in a little fucking pod and was going to go do it himself last week or right. whatever, week before. Yeah. And I guess Trip is discovering that he hasn't moved past his sister's death, but it's not clear are we is this letter 
what allows him to do that? Or is he still going to be dealing with this next week? Yeah. And then there were no obvious, no real obvious stinkers in characterization this week, but they they didn't, there were not a lot of easy points scored here. I only gave him four. Uh, I already said I got some real dictator vibes from Archer during the teaser. Um, that other Ar- Arboreals indie, Janar, asks all the good questions like, okay, so time travel. Or Janner. Again, no one said it. It's J-A-N-N-A-R. Yeah, you have to guess. So time travel. How's that work? Um, yeah. T-Pole is still in her drug mess, but she is there to comfort Trip when he loses it. Uh, Degra is disposed to see each piece of evidence in an Earth-friendly light, which really only indicates his wish to stop this project. I don't even think it's yes. that he likes Earth. I don't think it's that well, he necessarily he? likes Archer, though he seems to get along with him. He wants out of this thing. But like you said, when faced with turning on the reptilians for Archer, he does. He shows the same old brutality when he destroys the disabled reptilian ship to avoid being exposed. Yeah, he's looking at two options here. One, Archer's right, and he he's going to feel real bad if he blow, blows up the Earth. Well, especially or if two, Archer's right about the time travel part where that means right. the Zindi are going to eat it. Exactly, yeah, yeah and, and et cetera. Or two... They make peace. There's At this point, yeah. he's not looking at any kind of consequence. I guess if Archer's wrong, then Earth at some point in the future is going to attack the Zindi homeworld. But they like can that. just keep making weapons and not use exactly. them. Exactly. Like, it's it's easy for him, I think, to shunt this one down the road. I mean, I think if he's his real problem is probably Civil War. Yeah. I don't, don't you have to think that's where this is headed with the reptilians? That's the highest stakes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trip is tired, but I think mostly tired of people telling him his business. <laughs> he didn't show any like issues or problems or anything, but multiple people were getting in his shit and threatening to relieve him of duty and about stuff. About how he needed to sleep. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't play nice with Derek Degra, but, you know, Florida. Catfish, all that. He's mad. Yeah. Um, he eventually has a breakdown, so I guess sleep wasn't really what he needed after all. They didn't really blow up the catfish-eating part of Florida so much, though, but still. I'm just saying, man. It's, where's he going to get it? If they shot it. If they shot all this catfish. Reed sacrifices himself to save the ship out on his little spacewalk. We don't see him after that, so I don't know. Maybe he's still hurt. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I actually gave it a six. Um, for the stuff about Degra and his character being confirmed, and um, for uh, uh, for Tripp's stuff. Oh, you're consistently higher than me this week on this one. Yeah. So. so. I got some quick hitters, and by that I mean I have like one quick hitter. Yeah, please. Okay, Trip, in early in the episode, suggests that this Degra rendezvous is an ambush. Bro, they could have <laughs> killed you last week. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They that were play, shooting you up. They, you were a fucking drift, and then they specifically stopped firing and left. They could have killed you last week, or they could show up now with one ship and kill you. Yeah, why would this Enterprise be Enterprise is trash right now. Uh, did you see Seth MacFarlane in this shit? Yep. Okay. I saw his name in the opening credits, uh. so it really ruined the first ten minutes of the show for me <laughs> until he showed up. I uh, I didn't see that, but then I saw him, and I ah, this fucking guy. Uh, my last quick hitter. Uh, Archer shows them all this evidence, but he never takes them to the time travel room. <laughs> well, he can't time travel from that room, and I really feel like that's the thing he's trying to keep secret. 
is that he has no control over this process. I was just thinking, like, how desperate is he? Because he seems pretty desperate. This whole mission seemed pretty desperate, but he never brings up the time travel room. Yeah, theoretically, he could take him there and show him. What does he got? Daniel's Wikipedia. He's right? got. Doesn't he That's have what that he has? little uh, Simon Dongle thing? Don't they have something that he left behind? From his trip to Detroit, maybe? Something. He has some kind of thing that they've taken out of those quarters in previous episodes. I, it, by the way, it feels to me very much like he is trying to keep Daniels out Daniels, of this Daniels, that's his shit. name. I never remember his name. <laughs> Daniels. Because if he, the moment Daniels gets involved in this, then they've got a time travel guy and Archer's got a time travel guy and everyone's just taking orders. Yep. And no one knows any of this information firsthand. Right? So it is better if he, it lets them believe that he has seen all of this. He has himself. some personal information about this stuff. But the one guy's constantly asking about time travel and he doesn't show him yeah. anything. No, I, that's why I felt like it had to be intentional. So what is his plan? I hope that the council also doesn't. <laughs> that. I think the council's going to want to know about it. Because the council's not like, we'll make peace if you give us the secret of time travel. Yeah, because that's something they could ask for. Yeah. You know, because it would be important to have that. So I, yeah. that's the whole Listen, time. Listen, if I'm playing Civ, you'd have to think <laughs> yeah, about that's it. That's right. You, you put it in the thing, and then they, the guy makes an angry face, and he says, we'd never accept this. And you go, all right, well, then I'm going to conquer your territory. All right. Um, yeah, I just, so I just, is he desperate or not? He shows him all the evidence, but anything in the time travel room, and the one guy keeps asking about time travel. So anyway. Well, by the way, Archer keeps asking about when's the fucking weapon going to get yep. launched, and Degra's real shady about that, too. Uh, it'll be launched at some point in the near future. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So they're both playing a limited version of their hand, right? Yes. What about you? Uh, I thought Archer was playing this whole episode so angry and manic. I wasn't supposed. I wasn't surprised that Jannar was suspicious about him. Yeah. Because he's not acting unsuspicious. Oh, there's Seth MacFarlane. He screwed up a microfracture scan, and he talks louder than anyone else on the ship. He must be a popular guy. <laughs> Why does he talk so loud? Doesn't he know he's an extra? He really wanted everyone to know he was in that episode. Uh, I for sure would not try to dictate a letter home. I definitely would type it out with my hands. Well, hopefully they don't have... Uh, hopefully they got a good program. You don't want it to uh, yeah, have no, any weird I'm not uh, worried about typos. typos. I'm worried about... I know how many times I say, uh, when I'm doing this show. <laughs> If you were writing a letter home about somebody's dead kid. Yeah, I just didn't need so much editing. Yeah, it'd be that me I'm, going might as well, I might uh, as well just type it to start with. You know what I'm you know what I mean about did uh, your dead kid I don't say that. Not the dead thing. Not that. When Trip goes to record his final letter, they basically play Leia's theme from Star Wars. And I don't <laughs> know why, and I didn't understand what it was supposed to mean. I didn't notice. I like Leia's theme. It's fine. It's a fine theme. Maybe they just went, it's, it's really like, good music. It's a little bit romantic and a little bit wistful. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense for Trip right here. There was no subtext that he had a thing for Taylor. No. Uh, if someone told me that I had to go off duty and sleep for four hours and then come right back on duty, I also would try to look and see if he looked to see if I even went off duty. I'd be watching constantly. No, I know. Because I'd be like, F fucking four hours? Let me just do the work now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get it done four and then I'll sleep Four hours of sleep? No, no, no. Yeah, I'll work for some more hours and then I'll sleep good hours later. 
That's no that's no sleep. Four hours of sleep is no sleep. Yeah, you'd wake you know how disoriented you'd wake up? If you hadn't yeah, slept you in would two days. Up, you'd lose an hour just trying to get focused up. If you didn't sleep for two days and you slept for three hours, you would be a absolute mess. I probably would puke. I feel like yeah. I'd wake up and puke. You'd definitely have a, a grumpy tummy, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'd have to go to Flux and say, I got a grumpy tummy. <laughs> what are you gonna do about that, Flux? What's your staff going to do about that? I slept for three hours and I woke up with a sour stomach. (laughs) Uh, I give best actor to Trip and worst actor to Reed this week. Yep. Every time that guy opens his mouth, I hate it. And his face looks gross. He just, he he looks like a pervert. (laughs) Yeah. Well. And they made him one. They made him a pervert. They did make him a pervert. You know, the characters always become what they are in real life, I think. Four down, one to go. Hell yeah. The winner last week was... Uh, TNG. What a surprise. However, this week we watched Menage a Troy. Don't prejudge this episode and say however like that. Do you think the weird conceit that we add them up at the end means that we're we're missing the opportunity to have some finality by saying... You know, the Forgotten scored how many ever points? Mm, when we were earlier, when we were doing them, like the first 10 or 15 episodes, we would kind of add them up as we go. Okay. But I think we don't want to give away the winner until the end, yeah, maybe so something like that. If no one can do the math at home, this is going to be a real surprise to them who wins. <laughs> <clears throat> um. All right. There's a. Tr- no one's writing this down as we go. Wait, why not? Why well, would you listen all, to this three and a half hour pod and not write any of it down? This is important. First of all, they're listening to this after it's done. So if you've been writing down the score uh-huh. so you can see who's winning, just open Landrew. Oh, that's not that's not fun. <laughs> just looking at a box score. You gotta watch the game. I guess. Um There's a trade conference of some kind at Beta Z. Loaxana is annoying Troy and Picard. Some Ferengi are bothering Loaxana because she can't read their minds and they keep trying to purchase her. Looks like we're going to have a real zany episode this week. Filler season credits. Uh, I forgot to do the synopsis in real time. So from uh, memory, (laughs) Troy and her mom fight about Troy not being married yet. Wesley's going to leave the ship soon to continue his academy entrance exams or something. Oral exams? Oral exams. He passed the written exams. He's got to take this... (laughs) He's got to take this oral exam to get in. And he has to do it on location. He can't do it from Enterprise. Anyway, he's all in his feelings about that, especially because he's hanging out with Data and Jordy, and those two are bad at making people feel better. Well, Data does a real bad job because Jordy's like, well, we'll be getting back the best ensign in the fleet, and Data's like, there's no way he's going to get a He's not coming back here. And then, by the way, if he did, it would be totally different. Don't worry about it. Right, yeah, and the Jordy's like, I don't know, Captain Picard could pull straight. He might not still be here. <laughs> They're really bad at this. Hey, I'm just now thinking about life in the military. <laughs> uh, Picard <laughs> makes Riker take shore leave, and he takes it with Troy down on Beta Z. The two smooch a bit, and then they're interrupted by a meddling Luoxana, and then further interrupted by Damon Tog, the Ferengi captain from the teaser, who kidnaps all of them to continue his scheme of having a Betazoid beside him to read minds and shit, and also he's infatuated with Luoxana. The two Troy women have their clothes removed, and Tog says Luoxana will cooperate or her daughter will be harmed. That's when Luoxana begins her plan to seduce Tog. Now I've caught up. I mean, up. Uh, to be fair, it's Farrak who says that. Oh, Farrak makes the threat? Yeah, Farrak makes yeah. the threat. All right. I don't know if mem- maybe Memory Alpha or Wikipedia was wrong about that. No, I, I wrote all that down. I just wrote, I wasn't watching the scenes in real time and okay. writing the notes down. Um, now, But it. then I caught up. 
uh, Riker starts his own scathingly brilliant plan, a 3D chess match with his Ferengi guard. Yeah, he beat him playing chess earlier in the in the cold open. It's such an unimportant thing yep. that you wouldn't... I, I didn't even write it down, but he beat him playing chess earlier. Eventually, he complains that he can't see the board well enough from his cell, and the guard lets him out to play the game. It's very bad we and dumb. We cut away to nasty lobe jobs, and then when we cut back, Riker has, of course, knocked out his guard. And is attempting to get into the Ferengi comm systems. They don't even show no, us. No, that guy doesn't deserve to be punched on screen. He's so dumb. They're like, look, you knew what happened. You knew what happened as soon as he said, uh, "I where am I, I going to go? I could have beaten you in twenty moves." Yeah, you knew exactly where this was going. <laughs> that's right. That's that's right. Uh, anyway, only he, that Ferengi guard didn't know where it was going. He's trying to get into the Ferengi comm systems. Uh, Troy communicates telepathically with her mother, who's still seducing Damon Tog, and tells her she needs Tog's access codes to get into the communication systems. <laughs> Enterprise finishes up looking at an amazing painting of a stellar nursery that was messing with their own communications, and they get the message from Beta Z that two days ago the Troys and Riker disappeared. Luoxana gets up to replicate a drink, to like teach the computer how to make the drink, and she's like, oh, I need your access code to teach the computer. And he's like, yeah, 100%. But then as he's given the code up, Dr. Farrick comes in and low blocks him. Blocks his lobes yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out Farrick's a mad scientist <laughs> yeah. who wants to create telepaths or something by studying Loxana's brain. It's some B five shit. Some Babylon. Uh, by 5 the way, everyone shit. settle in for an hour because we're going to talk about Farrick. <laughs> There's so much happening. <laughs> Data finds those flowers Tog brought to Beta Z to give to Loxana when he kidnapped her, and that's how they figure out the Ferengi did it. So now Enterprise is on the hunt. Uh. Riker finds a way to get into a minor subsystem and punch out some fucking Morse code or whatever for Enterprise to find. He doesn't know Morse code. All nope. he can do is the Algolian ceremonial rhythms that he yep. remembers earlier. Wesley's late getting to his ship to go off to take his exams, and he's ordered to leave. As he says bye to his mom and gets on the transporter pad, he realizes the sound he's been hearing in the coded Ferengi messages they've been studying is the pattern of the Algolian ceremonial rhythms from the teaser. He races back to the bridge to tell the senior staff, and Picard tells Wesley's ship to leave without him. It looks like if you missed if you missed the teaser, this whole episode yes, doesn't make there's sense. There's so much that comes back. You you cannot be like, why oh, are they the playing chess game now? Five minutes long, and I flipped over, <laughs> and I don't right. understand why Riker is good at chess. What rhythms? What the fuck? Algolian ceremonial rhythms are, are like. I don't about? understand what I'm hearing until Wesley tells me. It seems like such an unimportant teaser, and everything that happens in it, it, it just. It seems like character work, but then it all comes back. Um. Anyway, so it looks like he won't be uh, heading off to the these uh, oral exams after all, because his ship leaves. Now they know it's Riker signaling them. They give Riker the credit. I, I don't know why it couldn't have been Troy, but... It's true. Well, Riker's the musician. Yeah. He knows how to play Nightbird. Um, so they start chasing that signal. Riker and Deanna rescue Luoxana from the Mind Probe, but are captured instantly. Uh, Luoxana offers to sacrifice herself if Riker and Deanna are freed. Tog agrees, and when Enterprise shows up, Deanna and Riker are beamed over. Uh, Deanna pleads with Picard to save her mom, and tells Picard that he's expected to fight for her, and in so doing, intimidate Tog, and... I don't know, Picard goes wild with some sonnets and shit, and then he... Th he reads a bunch of different lines from a bunch of different sonnets. He can't remember a whole sonnet, or he's worried that the Ferengi will recognize <laughs> or, like, it. like, certain lines won't apply to this situation. So he just strings shit together. 
Uh, one of the lines is from Othello. It's not even from a Sonic. And then he threatens to destroy Tog and Luoxana rather than let another man have her. And uh, Tog eventually gives in. Luoxana is beamed over to the bridge and we get some silliness there. Finally, Picard tells Wesley, uh, calls Wesley into his quarters and tells him until he can redo his exams next year, he'll be temporarily promoted to acting ensign. <laughs> Wesley comes to the bridge in his red uniform. That's not what he says. What does he say? He's like, he gives him a field promotion to full ensign. Oh, which really? Is not a rank. Oh man, I didn't even hear it that. Really, shouldn't be any different than acting ensign. But I get the impression that acting ensign was something he made up. Oh, that's what he already was. This is something that's oh, official. This is the real deal. That's why he gets the uniform. Okay. Right. I wasn't paying attention. This is just a regular field commission. Okay. Which probably you wouldn't be able to give in peacetime, but let's pretend. Also, can you go Picard to... Picard gets away with a lot. Can you still go to the academy after that, or does that ruin your eligibility, like NCAA? Uh, <laughs> well, it would be... It's a good... It's a very good question. He maybe should not be allowed to fly on the flight demonstration team <laughs> yeah. later. Is he gonna... He probably, probably would be allowed to go to the academy. If he tries to run the marathon, I'll be like, nah, sorry. Not an amateur anymore. Uh, reasonably, you would think it would increase his chances of getting into the academy. Maybe Picard thinks he needs a boost. Well, he keeps dicking around on the exams. We'll talk about it. Anyway, uh, Wesley comes to the bridge in his red uniform and thankfully doesn't pose for any photos. They head to <laughs> Zathras 3 or whatever and we're out. End. Yeah. What was this <coughs> fucking wild mess about? Well, here's where we are this week. You're going to have to sell me on your take. I'm gonna. Because I never crystallized one. All right. I don't again because of the themes in this. I'm not sure it's a no take, or I would have just straight no taked it. But I need you to sell me yours. True fulfillment comes from living your own life and choosing your own path rather than that which has been laid out for you. Uh, we got Troy fighting with her mom about this in the first part of the episode. Rather than get married and start a family, which is what her mom wants, she intends to see her career in Starfleet through and be fulfilled by her duty and her colleagues, which she calls her family. Um, it's not what her mom would choose for, but it's what's going to make her happy. The second, that kind of goes away as they get into other shit. They get kidnapped. Yeah, we'll talk about that. The second part of the episode is about Wesley coming to grips with what leaving the Enterprise will mean for him. He may never come back to this place that he thinks of as, uh, home with his space family, and if he does, it surely wouldn't be the same. He's clearly stalling when his transport arrives to take him away, and he's forced off the bridge. And eventually chooses to stay and help Enterprise complete yet another mission. Uh, Wesley has had this Starfleet Academy plan laid out for him since he was little, but he always pushes it off to remain in a place that fulfills him. It's not what his dead father might have wanted, or Picard, or his mom, but he's this This is what he wants to do. And then even Luoxana gives Riker, I'm a, I'm a grown woman and I can make my own decisions line when she sacrifices herself for Troy and Riker at the end. Perhaps her fulfillment comes from this, keeping her family safe, even if her daughter and Billy Boy don't like it. So that's how I pieced it together. And I gave it a six. uh, Okay. All right. I have three problems with Go for it. And we'll see if I cover them in execution. One for each section of your take. All right. Uh, But they boil down to nobody learns this lesson. Okay. Number one, with Troy. That her default position is that she's happy and fulfilled. She doesn't care about what her mom thinks, even though her mom thinks she definitely should be married to Commander Riker. <laughs> Him specifically. She spends the first 10 minutes asserting to her mother that she's fine the way she is, and then she goes on a date with Commander Riker. And they kiss. 
It's a date. That's not a friend kiss. They both put on date clothes. Yeah. They go to a place where they used to fuck. I'm yeah. 90% sure. Oh, for sure. Betazoids are wild. Yeah. 100% they fuck. It'd be there. weird if they didn't fuck in that garden. Yep. And then they do not friend kiss. That's not a friend kiss. But they go to a place that is nostalgic and romantic for them. Mm-hmm. And then they kiss. And then Loxana Troy shows up. Yeah. So, Troy... If that's supposed to be the lesson, Troy backslid. Maybe your mom because got her all in her feelings. Is not about that. <laughs> yeah. Her mom got her in her feelings. We know that's a dangerous place for her. Yes. Man, hey, we're going to have to track Riker for the next few weeks. So she backslid. Wesley is for sure self-sabotaging. Yeah, we've seen this from him before. The problem is that he for sure does not learn this lesson <laughs> because he goes to Starfleet Academy Gets involved with a bad crowd. Yeah. Still continues at Starfleet Academy. Oh, yeah. He has not... He, yes. In his head, he has not crystallized this whole message yet. And then meets an Indian who's really the traveler <laughs> and sees a hologram of his dad. And that's when it clicks for him yes. that Starfleet Academy is not... So he does not learn that lesson. No. He, he is very much going through it. He has not come to a conclusion on this. And as for Luoxana Troy... Yeah. Her position at the start of this episode is that she knows what's right for other people yeah. and she's going to tell them what to do. Yes. And that is what is happening at the end. Uh, because so Riker, no learns because Riker's like, uh, no, I can't, I can't let you. He's, by the way, seems like he's going through the motions on this one. Uh, no, he really does no, nothing. No, you really, protest. you shouldn't do that. Don't do it. Yep. He's like, yeah, we'll get out of here. Okay. We're leaving. It's not heroic, no. what he does. No. Um, so who learns this lesson? Mm. It is a lesson that they all should have learned. Yep. And did not. It's a lesson that Troy even says with her own mouth, but doesn't learn it. Yeah. And it's her starting position, and she <laughs> yes. immediately backslides. It's definitely a theme that is running through the episode. Yes. I thought that there might be before I watched it, I thought that there might be something in this episode about how Luxon is a big pain in the ass and nobody sees her value. Mm. And then at the end, she it reveals that she has manipulated this guy pretty good. Now, the problem with that, though, is that it starts with uh, Damon Tog saying, this bitch is valuable. Yes. That's you know right. who has a lot of value? <laughs> this one this over one. here in particular. Out of all the people I, in this room, this one's the most valuable. I'm not, unlike most people, I'm not even grossed out by her weird elderly sexuality. Yeah. I'm fucking full into I that. 100% into this. So, that it's not that thing that I thought might have been the take. I I can't do it. I'm no taking it. Right, that's fair. That is fair. We might be far off on this episode then. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I wonder if this could beat our 10. That's right. Well, you have a rule. Yeah, I do. And since we flipped the order we're doing this in... Mm-hmm. Uh, might as well switch right over to me. It's a zero, of course, if I'm no-taking it. Of course. That's how it's gotta be. Um, this episode is a pure farce. Yeah. Although, you can't enjoy it because there's a, just a constant rape undertone. A lot of rape. With the Ferengi. Yeah. Uh, they push it. Like they threaten her daughter. Yeah, the Ferengi and everything about them is a problem. Right. This is very problematic, and they don't... Even Farrick, who's not all in on this plan, he's actually more problematic. Well, again, yes. we'll do our hour on Farrick <laughs> yes. in a minute. The show, the episode as produced, never 
even acts like Wesley is really leaving. Like, there's no one in the transporter room. Well, his mom's there. Do you know what I mean? There's no one there to say goodbye but Beverly, and she's only there because he forgot his dop kit. Well, isn't it true that no one's there because they're in the middle of trying to find Riker or something? Like, he says, Picard even says to him on the bridge, no time for farewells. Okay, I mean, that's sort of true, but like, there's nothing planned. Sure. Picard tells him, we'll get you back to Beta Z in time for your ship. Yeah. But like, did he mean 10 minutes? Yeah, also it's weird that they went to Beta Z for the conference, but didn't Why meet didn't the they ship leave there. Wesley they went there. to go look at that painting. Yeah, well, they had to go do their survey. Why'd they take Wesley? Sorry, I keep saying look at a painting because they go on the view screen. They put the stellar nursery up and it's the <laughs> clearest matte painting I've ever seen. It's for sure a matte painting, definitely. And Picard is so fucking over the moon about this painting. He jizzes twice for this thing. Anyway. Yeah, and then they fly back to Beta Z. <laughs> and they fly back to Beta Z. But it doesn't seem like they, despite the hurried circumstances of having to get back to Beta Z, because they get the call right away that they've been kidnapped. Yeah. It seems like the Bradbury is still only going to wait for eight minutes. Now, I know that there's some time when they were down on the planet looking for flowers or whatever. So it's not really like that. But in it doesn't seem like Picard left him a lot of time. No, it's uh, at one point they say that Bradbury's already been waiting an hour or something like that. Right. And I went, well, I mean, first I went, well, that's not very much time. And then I think it's, oh, they're only waiting for this teenager, though. They're waiting for, <laughs> they, by the way, this is the Academy transport ship. Yeah. They've got a bunch of other teenagers. Yeah. And everyone's sitting there waiting for Wesley. You kind of have to make it an example. You can't be like, oh, well, we'll wait, though, for this kid. Uh, well, listen, the kid from the Enterprise who wait. wears the non-standard gray uniform. <laughs> yes. Thinks he's better than all of you. And we're going to wait. It's really going to be like that scene in Ender's Game. Exactly right. When they go up up to the station. He's going to have to bust Stilson up, I think. Yep. Hey, did Picard agree not to tell anyone what happened at the end of this? Boy. (laughs) I do have a note in here. What does he put in his log? (laughs) David Tog at the end is like, ah... Hey, no harm, no foul, right? You're not gonna. So you're not gonna. You're not gonna tell it. And he's like, such as let your superiors know about this unprofitable venture. I'll consider it. <laughs> what he doesn't say is, are you crazy? You kidnapped an ambassador, yes. the first officer, and the and another officer from the, another bridge officer from the Federation flagship in, deep in Federation territory. Yeah. And you want me to tell no one? I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. You think you're getting away with it? <laughs> Well, the main thing is, what's he going to put in his log? That this all happened right under his fucking nose? But then it's cool, It's cool because uh, in the end, he did a great sonnet. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good He point. told so because many the, sonnets? He can't keep this one quiet. The guy from Beta Z already has yeah. been trying to send distress calls the for Bradbury's two days. You think Enterprise scanning? is the only ship he called? Yeah, Bradbury's there, man. Is that the name of the ship? Yeah, I thought it might have been a Bradbury. Yeah. I didn't actually write it down, though. I think it is. So, yeah, he can't hide this, but what's he going to say in his log? Uh, yes, oh, yes, my crew was kidnapped, but you should have seen my cool sonnets. Everything's worked out okay. I did threaten to blow up an alien ship a lot, but it all turned out okay. Yes, the if the Federation ambassador from Beta Z had to give a hand job. <laughs> yeah, she gave lots of ear jobs. For six or seven hours, <laughs> yeah. she gave. And, yeah, they, yep, they definitely beamed him out of their clothes. Uh-huh. <sighs> But hey, let's tell. I'm gonna. He should really highlight the Algolian ceremonial rhythm aspect of this. Anyway, he highlights Riker, Riker and Wesley. It was a cool trick, and, and I made this. Chose, I promoted him. Again, the only thing that my crew are good at is nonverbal communication amongst each other. <laughs> the first six paragraphs of his report back home are about how he's promoting Wesley for great work. Yep. <laughs> 
Well, uh, so I don't know. Again, it's, it's a zero for me, but I didn't have anything really positive about this in my yeah. notes anyway. Well, we're already 10 apart because I gave a four. Oh, boy. Um, okay, so this was a filler episode and as such isn't really interested in doing anything. Um, but it does succeed in pulling at the heartstrings if you give even a third of a shit about Wesley, which I'll get <laughs> I'll get back to. Uh, the pros, standard TNG small touches. Uh, it advances Wesley's whole thing, his whole plot. Not a lot of data in it. Okay. It's true. It's a pro. Cons. It's a bit silly. Fake stakes. Everything about the Ferengi is handled badly by all of the shows. So, I, I, very rapey, which is not fun to watch. I'm not going to lie, I never noticed the Wesley traveler background music playing behind him in these scenes where he's about to leave and then comes back to save the day i thought that was a really good touch too oh he's got a theme that plays there i also his, didn't notice all it. the traveler music plays uh, in the background when he's so it's on I mean, his way to the transporter and theme. on the, the pad. traveler stuff is wesley's theme yes so he's like when he's on the pad and he comes back to the bridge the traveler music's playing behind him the whole time um so it was a four for me this episode could have scored better if maybe the villain, if the villain was different, because they just the Ferengi are such a bad stereotype that gets played over and over and is always so terrible. Um, and uh, it was very silly and not in a good way. So the, here's the weird thing: there's no stereotype in our world that capitalism and uh, mistreatment of women go hand in hand. Yes, I agree. That thing about when they're leering at Tasha Yar in the last outpost. Is that what that is? Yeah. And she says, just try uh, it, Shorty. It's like a fucking throwaway line. Yeah. And it has become the most important thing about I the Ferengi. We had that whole Ferengi episode about it that scored so many points. Rom had to ask his mom to take her clothes off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks yeah um i can get into world building please do trade agreements conference at beta z algolian ceremonial rhythms frankie minds can't be read in this episode <laughs> yeah that's the real problem huh uh what are the other houses of beta z maybe like houses one through four what are those Good question. about they may not all still be extant because she's the rare heir to the holy rings and the chalice of reeks is an old clay pot with mold growing inside according to deanna yeah so what um by the way it could still be it's still obviously an important artifact you don't have to shit on her because it doesn't mean anything in space <laughs> i think deanna's letting us know at home that it's not important maybe it's <laughs> that loxana is boasting about something that no one off world will suggest know about. that it's some fake horse shit yes. for sure but like uh every episode with academy entrance stuff confuses me where's oh, yeah, he going trash. why what's he do oral exams he's got to go he's got to go somewhere for that it's apparently to earth it's fucking it's a lot going on here um uh uda berries and oscoid yeah are things they eat on that picnic uh well i don't know did you did you read any behind the scenes on this i never do okay well there's a deeply upsetting thing that happened there is that in your quick hitters no nah, because it's behind the scenes but we can talk about it if you want yeah i already i already brought up udaberries and oscoid or whatever yeah so uh this is a gene special this oh, episode no. well that makes sense 
Yeah. So Gene did a rewrite pass, mm. and the Oscoid was going to be uh, tubular and veiny. Oh. Like a dick until they told him to calm it down. And that's why Riker reacts why to it like that? That's why it's just Swiss chard now. And that's why when he bites it and like yeah, exactly. the sap keeps it warm, so it like jizzed in his mouth. And he's yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the strong implication. Oh, that's pretty nasty. Fucking yeah, Gene. Uh, an episode he was writing for his wife. Did he have brain rot? <clears throat> Seems like he got more like that as time passed. Yeah, By the probably. time TNG came around, he wanted everything to be orgies and stuff. Uh, well... Let me remind you that they wrote the episode Sarek b- about how bad it was to watch Gene Roddenberry <laughs> failing. That's true. So he did have brain rot. Yes. The it's about their own dads, but also, boy, it's about Gene. Yeah. Uh, Riker refers to a smell on the Ferengi vessel, so that's cool. Yeah, by the smell of it, and also I'm looking at two Ferengi, a Ferengi ship. Dr. Farrick or Farrick, I think he's called both. He characterizes the no clothing thing as females do not deserve the honor of wearing wearing clothes. Yeah, This is a subtle difference to the way this has been characterized in DS9, which is more like tradition dictates it and you have no reason to wear clothing because you're not allowed to go out of the house and you exactly and and you're not allowed to like greet guests and stuff. So like, why bother? Right. And incidentally, it's non-sexualized nudity. Yeah. For the Ferengi, because they don't care that Brunt's showing up right. to see their naked mom. So I was thinking maybe Farrick is some kind of hardliner. He's well, he puts on weird robes and does mind torture, so he's definitely <laughs> well, he's definitely insane. But I mean, like he for sure is insane. Specifically, his views about women. It seems like he's drawing a a. It's a it's a it's subtle. It's a subtle difference. It's the difference between saying like once upon a time maybe they thought you didn't deserve it, and now that's our culture. Also, he for sure insists on being called Dr. Farrick. He <laughs> appears to be second in command on this ship. Yes, but, but he's he a doctor. he definitely makes everyone call him doctor. I don't know. I, I don't. It sounds like you have a lot about Farrick. I don't know if you want to wait for your section. No, no, I'm just... Or if you want to or, get into it. Okay, let's talk about Farrick. For one thing, Farrick is Neelix. Yes, he's played by the guy who plays Neelix. He's played by the guy who plays Neelix, and when Ethan Phillips was creating the role of Neelix, he did not attempt to do anything with his voice to differentiate him from his previous character of Dr. Farrick. So it's very distracting. Yeah, it's very clear as soon as you hear him, you go, oh, fucking Neelix is in He's got lobe. most of Neelix's face, although he's got the Ferengi lobe, uh, yeah, forehead, know, thing. forehead lobes and ears. Yep. So it's not that, that obvious, but the voice is distressingly Neelix-like. Yep. It's not this show's fault it came first, but still. Uh, his plan was always to try and dissect her brain, right? Yeah, it's, that is such a Babylon 5 plot. This is a show that is not interested in how the Betazoids work. <laughs> right. It is, Except, it's made it clear. It comes out and tells you. It goes, don't ask. We don't care about it. Don't talk about it. But now... The Ferengi care. Dr. Farrick cares. Dr. Farrick cares. And he blackmails Tog yeah. into letting him do this torture. But it still seems prearranged like this was plan B. And Tog's whole thing about getting Loaxana Troy as a bargaining chip, as an advantage, that's fake, right? Oh, he's, a, he's that's infatuated his justification with to get Farrick to go along with this horse shit. Yes. Maybe because he knows Farrick is a weird mind probe guy. Yeah, I think he must know. And now he has to let him actually do the mind probe because of that. Mm-hmm. Did 
He put on graduation robes <laughs> to do the thing. It's to what do a, a mind probe, what a, he put on a, scholar a cap and gown and then took the cap back off. But it was made of the same green fabric that the blankets and Luxon Troy's dress were made of. Yeah. So they only have one fabric on this shit. He's a scholar, all right? Right. He's wearing the oh, robes yeah. of one. By the way. I don't think he's a medical doctor. No, there's no way in hell that that guy's he's a doctor. He's for sure not a medical doctor. I don't think he's anything. He, he maybe has a weird PhD in minds. I think he got his PhD on some island somewhere that no one's ever heard of. This is not the first Ferengi mind control thing. No. They, got they the have the maker. They have the thought maker, yeah. which given the fact that it appears reused in every Ferengi <laughs> ship and prop. That's just uh, the thing they do. It's not something they bought. That's a Ferengi device. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. He he hates he hates women. Yes. He is disgusted when when the two Troys beam in nude. He's disgusted, and it's not because they're mother and daughter. <laughs> no, he's into that. I think. He might be into that. Who knows? Yeah, it's um. Yeah, he's a mad scientist, and that's a very odd second in command to have. Yeah, where has he? Where have those skills been helpful to talk in the past? Well, listen, it explains why the guard is so incompetent. Why the third guy in this Ferengi trio is so shitty? There's a fourth he, guy too, because the fourth guy is originally playing the third guy, and he disappears, and we never see him again. Now he doesn't come back and check on him. Uh, Riker has that guy knocked out on the floor for hours. Oh, he hit him good. He. He could be dead. He could be dead, it's true. Riker might have accidentally killed him, and now he's got to get out of there, and that's why he lets Troy <laughs> do the thing. Maybe. Because he's like, once they figure out that I broke this guy's little head... Yeah, they're not. They're going to want to keep me then. This, uh, this will not go well for old Will. Anyway, I just think it's odd that it's a show that doesn't care at all about telepathy or anything about the betazoids but then they got this guy who's gonna fucking dissect her and it's yeah. weird that it's the ferengi because they can't have their minds read so they should be even less worried about it than everyone else anyway and he's not just gonna kill her and dissect her he's it's gotta be torturey yeah she's gotta be very much awake while he that's also for her. Ferric. anyway back to world building uh gamma irandi uh, which is the stellar nursery i'm not gonna do the math on it but data says that 91% of Starfleet graduates are not assigned to Galaxy-class starships on their first assignment, which implies yeah. that 9% are. Yeah. So how many Galaxy-class ships are there? How many cadets are there? And does this number make sense? Again, I refuse to actually do the math. It's troubling, especially when the ratio of officers to enlisted is as high as we see. Mm -hmm. Like, you could say... Yeah, there's a lot more Mirandas, but they only have five officers each, whereas the Enterprise has 200, right? right. But we, you know that even a Miranda has 15 or 20 yeah, officers to. on it. The way, the way we see the ratios here. It's just, um, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I, I thought about doing the math. I'm not going to do the math. It just, it, yeah, I don't it's know. crazy. Are there 200 in a graduating class from Starfleet Academy? I, there's no way to know. It's very difficult. To I tell. was going to try to reverse engineer it based on how many galaxy class ships we thought there were. That would be like what the size three, of the crew usually that is. That would still only be like three fresh ensigns a year per galaxy class ship if there were two hundred in a graduating class. And then like how many positions there are available, right? You know, because it's not like they're just going to throw them on there for no reason. But and the thing you have to factor in is 
probably less than half of graduates would even be assigned to a starship. Probably most of them go to star bases so and stuff. This is why I'm so confused, because he seems to say that almost one in ten. That listening post that Aquiel's at had two commissioned officers. That's what I'm saying. They were the only crew. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the the math is a, yeah. is a big mistake here. Yeah, that, I'm not going to do it, but I just that bothered me when he said it. Um, even the Ferengi play 3D chess. Uh, it looks like it's spread throughout the galaxy. I feel like they might be picking it up, and that's why Riker can beat them so easily. They got, like they they got one on board. encountered it here at this Betazoid trade thing. Like he bought a set. Oh, cool. Maybe he's hoping to, he can franchise it or something, right? That's his own little personal side hustle. They got to have a side hustle. But then if the <laughs> Damon finds out that you didn't include him, then you're in this shit. Anyway, it helps reconcile the idea that suddenly Riker's really good at chess. <laughs> that if he's playing beginners, it makes more sense, yeah. We saw him play Stratagema, so. <laughs> he lost in three seconds. It was it was quick. He barely even wiggled his fingers. Uh, I think this was the introduction of Umox this episode. Yep. Um, heard a bit of Ferengi in this one. Universal Translator issues again. His access code appears to be in Ferengi. Yeah, it's an anime reference. Oh, is it? Man, you, yeah, you to, did read the to behind the, the anime scenes. Dirty Pair. <sighs> I have not looked into what that is about, That's but apparently there's don't. like 15 references to it in Star Trek. Uh, don't look into it. That sounds bad. It doesn't sound like something I should invest in. It's like when Marjan and I saw at the comic book store there was a comic called Sex Criminal. <laughs> we went, what? You can't just put that right on the cover? You can't just be called Sex Criminal? Um, warp field phase adjustment can be accessed without a code on this Ferengi ship. You'd think warp systems would all be essential and protected, but I guess not. I concur. Um, and again, the Bradbury is ferrying Wesley to his exams. Uh, I give it a four. Uh, I only gave it a three. Okay. So at this point, you're 11 up. This is scary because I... Okay. (laughs) Uh, We have Cochrane distortions. Okay. Ferengi can't be read by Betazoids this week. Yep. Starfleet's oral exam must be on a very tight timetable because by the end of the episode, Wesley's already missed the exam. So those kids have already gotten to wherever it's going. And they did it. Like... Picard could have run him to the fucking exam, right? Well, or he could, you know, he's Captain Picard. You know, he's got connections. Or at least caught up to the Bradbury. He's got connections. He could have just got him another slot. You I would know he so. could have. Like, what would have happened if the Enterprise had gotten in a fight and their warp core was shut down? Wesley has to wait another year. He can't take the oral exam. Yeah, I don't believe in that. I think what happened, if we're doing theory corner real quick, is that. Picard looked around at his non-Wesley crew and saw how disappointing they've been lately. <laughs> and went, well, I'm not getting rid of my like, best mind. Well, first of all, we all sat here on the bridge and listened to that static. And none of us only had Wesley shit. recognized it. I so. listened to it for an hour, and I got <laughs> nothing. And by the way, I love music, That's and right. Wesley doesn't care about it. That's right. He's just a nerd who was into the... You know, the ceremonial aspects of it. He gets so mad at that Ferengi when he's he just like, this noise. Oh, he was virtue signaling. Yeah, he's like, uh, that's Algolian that's ceremonial Algolian rhythm. That's ceremonial rhythm. So, it's actually pretty great. You racist. I have a whole record of it. It's pretty good. Uh, field commissions. So, Wait, I, I was just, I was just going to say, yeah. I think what he does is he says, I can just literally promote just him. make it happen for you. I can just promote him today and keep him and then I don't have to worry about any of this shit. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, my theory is Picard doesn't want him to leave either. Yeah. I agree. That's why he took him with him on the stellar nursery thing, because it's an opportunity for him to miss his ride. Yes. That's why when Wesley's on the bridge explaining about the 
ceremonial rhythms and the, the Bradbury calls and says, we can't wait anymore. Picard's. Picard doesn't say, you can wait five minutes, right? <laughs> he just goes, all right, they can go. We can beam him from the bridge. He already gave us the important information. Yeah. <sighs> Characterization. Yeah. I gave it three. Okay. I'm setting the stage now in case you gave it more than more than three. Two. Oh yeah. More in than which two, case, yeah. in which case, this becomes our biggest ever spread. Oh, this records are made to be broken. This week, uh, Riker's super smart, and maybe he can read the Ferengi language. Let me just—he kissed Troy. <laughs> he got an instant fucking boost. <laughs> we track this. We've been tracking this. It's a good week for Riker. He is he's on re- top of the world. He's real good at chess. He's crafty. He got to knock a guy out. <laughs> yeah. He got a kiss from Troy. Yep. And also, when she beamed back in, she was naked. Yep. He's so he got stuff. a good look. Dude, literally, he leaned in to kiss her. He's like, this isn't going to go well. And then she was all in her feelings because of Luoxana, and she just let him do it. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. The oh, Billy or- Boy is back. Or, by the way, the other read on this is that when Troy is telling... Luxana earlier that she and Riker have become really good friends. She means friends with benefits. Well, I have a lot to say, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Troy is happy with her life, but maybe she's not. Yep, hard to say. Luxana can't be cool for like a second. Uh, I thought that there's an interesting characterization choice here, which is un- unlike Patrick Stewart himself, Picard is not a strong actor. He really fucks up the beginning mm. before he just says, what if I just read sonnets? <laughs> what if I just say sonnet lines? You, you, you. Yeah, I I must have you. Right. I I will have you. Hold on, I know a sonnet. And uh, Wesley could have called his theory into the bridge, but I guess all of that may not be commissioned to Enterprise stuff got to him, or he's just a little self-sabotaging. He kind of threw the exams the last time, too, by helping out Mendon or Mordok, whichever one. I was eventually going to bring that up, that this is... so The other example we have is him looking over at fucking Mordok and going... I'm going to give you all the answers. While I agree that Wesley's arc in the series is everyone has been telling him Starfleet Academy, Starfleet Academy, and he's eventually going to discover that he has to figure out his own path. And his path is that he can stop time now, but still <laughs> it's good. He's, he's got to discover that Starfleet Academy is not for him. Uh, in this episode, that's still so far below the scenes that he is self-sabotaging. Yep. <clears throat> Uh, so it's just a three for me because, uh, what's up, Troy? And what's up, Wesley? Yeah. Be a little self-aware. Don't just go on a date with Riker. Well, you were kind and gave your score up front, so I will do the same. I gave it a six. Uh-oh. So, again, records are made to be broken. Um, Picard has too much experience with the Ferengi not to be biased against them, unfortunately. Yeah. He gives it in his log that he, uh, what a bummer I had to invite Ferengi to this. Well, the last time he gave them his seat, yeah, it was a whole thing. It was. He let Riker deal with it and it didn't go well. Um, same thing with his experiences with Luoxana. He's had too much experience with her. And so when she tries to approach him in 10 forward, he's like, yeah, nah, I'm good. It is nice that he feels about this episode the same way I do. That he's like the Frankie and Luxana Troy. It's a at bad the same week. Time. It's a bad week. I hope Q ain't fucking around. That's right. Um, again, Picard blows everybody's mind. I think he thinks this with all that poetry in the end. 
Oh, yeah. He thinks he's really fucking nailed it. How much of this is going to be in the captain's log? Um, Wesley's a nerd. All that stuff about the Algolian ceremonial rhythm. Uh, sometimes I wonder if he's ever given any thought at all about the Academy and his career. Like, he's definitely being swept along in other people's dreams for him, but still, he acts like he thought he would graduate, come back to Enterprise, and everything would be exactly the same. Is he six yeah. years old? I mean, it's a good question. It's not It's not a... Like, does he think his mom's still going to be there? Is he going to have this weird relationship with his mom for the rest of his life where they're on the same ship and she's calling him about haircuts and shit? And maybe he wants like, Was that. that part of his plan? Did he not want to go and run a ship of his own someday or has he i think you're right he just hasn't thought about it i think he just hasn't thought about it at all however as always he gives up his shot at the academy in order to save the day loaxana is overbearing and won't stop bugging her daughter about getting married she hates the ferengi as much as picard hates her loaxana sucks she keeps telling troy she ruined her thing with Riker. i guess she doesn't know Riker's not a one lady guy <laughs> no um, she's cool under pressure, though. She's happy to give Tog a go in order to get them out of this situation. Troy's embarrassed by her mother. She also thinks it's rude not to talk out loud. Uh, wants to live her own life. Troy... Tog gave up his... Tog showed his whole hand at the beginning when he told her, not only are you going to be great business partners, but I need to taste you yeah it's gotta happen and that at the, at the moment she's like so every time we see her uh look at troy as she's like i can handle this guy is because she knows she's got the upper hand <laughs> right. big time he's like you don't understand like i really i this has to happen for me <laughs> i'm at like, a part i'm in a point of my life i'm hanging around with this fucking guy over here the guy in the ropes it's honestly it's this or i'm gonna have to start rubbing dr ferris <laughs> so right. like this has to happen it's impeccable. you don't understand not optional um troy plays it very cool when her clothes get zapped away it must be the betazoid in her she only sort of reacts she's like <gasps> yeah she's clothes! shocked that it, oh she's shocked that it happened but that's the end of that yeah. Worf finds luoxana admirable like he thought about those fish guys <laughs> well he said they were handsome <laughs> didn't he say they also looked like fucking proud warriors or something uh, probably this week she didn't call him mr wolf <laughs> and so he's feeling pretty good and she hasn't started fucking with his parenting ability yet so does Worf look so uncomfortable when picard's doing his poetry because that's sex to him <laughs> that's a good point because <laughs> he sort of like adjusts like, his collar he's like, he's like God, you can't just do that in front of everybody fuck have some fucking pride dude like this is nasty <laughs> He looks so Just on unhappy. the bridge in front of Wesley and everything? As we know, the Klingons. The lady hurls heavy objects and the man reads love poetry, so... Right. That's my favorite thing that's ever been invented about the Klingon. <laughs> also, that it's on Klingon Wikipedia and who knows if it's true. That's also true. <laughs> anyway. He's like, listen, uh, what, there's one thing I know about Klingons, it's Luigi is gay. <laughs> I, Wikipedia was fun before it was locked down. I, I noticed him looking uncomfortable and I know why. Um... Jordy and Wesley are working overtime trying to convince everybody that their big fight last week was fake. <laughs> Bending over backwards to heap praise on one another. Yeah, they are real chummy this week, like, huh? Uh, Jordy and Data did great. And Jordy's like, no, no, we'll, no. We'll be getting the best ensign in the fleet Wes who is... doesn't know any of my secrets and says wild <laughs> stuff when he's got emotions. Wesley's the one. He he, he was the one who did the chip thing. I, I'm just an idiot with a wrench. I don't know anything about anything. Wesley's the smart guy. It's like they are so worried about people looking at them like these fucking guys hate each other. <laughs> um, 
Riker does not even try to fight Picard when he's told to take shore leave. He just turns around, starts to smile, and leaves. Uh, Well, Picard, by the way, knew exactly how to sell it. Yeah. He told him Troy was going. That's right. And that he should go also. (laughs) Riker doesn't even say anything. He just goes, eh, all right. All right. Guess I'm on, I don't care about stellar nurseries. Guess I'm on vacation. Have fun with the painting. Um, I guess now he's a 3D chess master, though your theory about the Ferengi being new at it is better. It's the only way I can reconcile it. All right, so this is where I wanted to find out what was happening in this episode between Riker and Troy. Is this a brief relapse into an unhealthy relationship? Are they in the midst of giving it another go, like off screen, and we're halfway through that? Or is it the familiarity of the Betazoid landscapes? Yeah. Which, what is happening with them because they are, like you said, in their dating clothes. It's a real shimmery satin shirt for Riker. And, and a by the way, her, her outfit is so crazy, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a very it. stupid dress. Stupid purple dress for her. It's like, what if I wore a dress, but you, I just tucked it I just tucked it into my crotch so you could still see all of my legs, but I, don't worry, they're in tights. It's, um... So I kind of look, look like a, a ballerina, but the tutu wilted and I just started tucking it in. Like you said, they go to the place where they definitely had some things going on. And they're in their dating clothes and they do a real kiss. So what's happening? Because we ain't seen them together recently. It is as if the writers said, we spent the whole cold open reminding everyone that Riker and Troy used to date. So let's send them on a date. And ignored the fact that every single thing Troy said was, leave me alone. Yeah, I'm happy with my relationship. I'm fine with what's happening with Riker, and I'm fine here. And now it just looks like, as you said, she's in her feelings because her mom was mean. (laughs) It could be it. I don't know. And then Troy, uh, when Riker went to her quarters and said, so I hear you're also taking shore leave. Why don't we go to... Yeah, I'm just going to kick her around my mom's house. And he's like, no, no, let's go to, um, uh, here comes counselor Troy. <laughs> just going to hang out with her mom. Doesn't want to go to the place where we used to fuck outdoors. Yeah. And that works because it works every time on her. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I read what I wrote. I'm going to give it a five. <laughs> it's not going to change it, but yeah. Um, I got. Them quick I got. I got a couple. Marjan is going to be very upset that she. We didn't watch it together. She wanted to watch it all week, but we didn't find the time. She's going to be so upset that she missed the 3D chess game. Because <laughs> I have seen her Instagram, yes, my friend. She bought herself a 3D chess, and it is in her office. So, yeah, sorry, Marjan. Um, I always think Troy's makeup. Uh, don't, later on, Troy will beat Data. At 3D chess, and he'll have to make her a drink. And then shit uh, gets wild. Yes, so. and then the conundrum happens, I believe. Then the conundrum happens. Uh, she That's her fault. She shouldn't have won that game of chess. Um, yeah. I always think Troy's makeup is terrible, and then I see her mom's. Yeah. And I go, oh, that's not, I guess it could be worse. Uh, then Dr. Farrick is Neelix. Um, I guess cleavage is a real staple of Betazoid fashion. They're very yeah, comfortable with nudity, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense in the that they wouldn't see any reason not to do it, but it also you think in a culture that's uh, pretty comfortable with nudity, there wouldn't be any reason to do yeah, it. Yeah, then you're not teasing anything. So who knows? Yeah, but it's just the moms. Loxana's always f- fucking walking around with those things busting out, and then we know Troy's Listen, regular outfits are always very low plunging. That that thing where they get married naked, that was a Ferengi style throwaway that Gene Roddenberry probably threw in there. Yeah. Uh, 
and he probably had five other notes that day too. Like, also, we should have two dudes just barebacking in the back. <laughs> yeah, right in the back, because that's people are open about that now. And the the studio had so many notes that they forgot <laughs> to take out the Betazoids yeah. get married naked thing, and now it's just established. It's well, that's how we got things in. It was just volume. Troy is not like constantly recommending to people that they fuck. It doesn't seem like. Aside from the fact that she's real easily negged, it doesn't seem like her sexuality is any different from any other member of the crew. Yeah, but I always think of her as trying to defy the Betazoid parts of her. Ah, that Because she hates her mom or whatever. Um, I did, I admit, I chuckled when Luoxana called him Demon Tog. <laughs> it's, a, it's, too, it's almost too simple, but I did, I got me. It is easy. The way that she is so dismissive about it. Um... Tog kidnaps everyone at that kid at that picnic to avoid witnesses being around, right? Yeah, and he didn't know about Mr. Hom. Because Hom walks over right as they're dematerializing. <laughs> yeah, he just he just fucking didn't look over there and see Mr. Hom. Yeah, he didn't do a good job on that. Um, Riker just barely taps Luoxana and Deanna, and they both wake up. So I guess they weren't like totally knocked out. <laughs> well, he just kind of goes, woke, hey, he woke up first, but I guess they were all knocked out for about the same amount of time. Um, being a Betazoid is weird. You have to have your mom's sex experiences in your head and shit. Do you have to or was she just keeping an eye on her mom because she was worried? Well, she got the she got a taste of those lobes for sure. You know <laughs> that she did mouth stuff on those lobes, right? I so first of all, we've never seen anyone do that. But they would. But wouldn't you think the next natural yes. thing would be like, well, if you like my hands, it's, the fr- it's what people have been doing for thousands of years on Earth. It's guess, like, hey, guess what the next base in this progression? I wonder is what be. it's like with your mouth. Yeah. So she for sure tasted those fucking things. Anyway, uh, maybe the Ferengi like it dry. Who knows? <laughs> I was um, I was pretty bored by that stellar painting Picard was so jizzed out about. I got to be honest, it wasn't one of the better paintings I've seen. <laughs> But he thought it was just. They don't. They streets b- ahead. That painting. I when I realized they were leaving Beta Z for a mission, I was like, uh, I forgot what the mission was. I have a oh, vague seriously. memory of Picard telling Wesley they're gonna be back. Yes, in time. But no, as I was watching it, I was like, I know he probably said what they were doing. He didn't. They only barely talk about it when they yeah. are on the way there. He says the name of the place they're going. Right. And that there's going to be interference there. It's going to keep them out of community. It's a device to keep them out of communication yes. range for a few hours. Yes, exactly. So it's, uh, it, they don't care about this. And I think that's why they didn't put any work into that painting. And I'm just saying, because do better. They can't possibly be there for a full day, can they? I like mean, two, di- two days tops? What, what science is getting done? I don't in two see days any there? science. I see Picard just staring. Picard just wanted to look at he it. Just it's exactly the it. same as when he told everyone he wanted to go see the nearest Pulsar. Yes. But that time, they knew yeah. he was replaced. Yeah, wait a minute. Where's the mutiny on this one? I guess there's no... Uh, the critical mission, I guess, is just Wesley. So, that's why. The other one, wasn't there some critical mission they were going to miss? Or was it just a rendezvous with a ship? It was just a rendezvous with the hood or yeah, something, Yeah, so it is right? the same. They were just going to rendezvous with the Bradbury. Yeah, why didn't they fucking... That's because Riker wasn't there. Yeah. That's why they didn't mutiny. Anyway, that's it for me. I got a couple. Yep. Uh, it comes up twice in this episode. Luoxana Troy had a first husband. Yeah. We don't know if that's Deanna's father or not. She doesn't say in this. My feeling is not, though. I think so as well. 
Um, there's a Zach Dorn hanging out at this party. What? I didn't see just, him. Just walking around back there with a sour look on his face. I don't think it was. Kill Rami. Kill Rami. Kill Rami. Kill Rami. Kill Rami. Sir Nicole Rami. Kilroy. Uh, but he's definitely wearing the same yellow coat. Yeah, it's why I didn't see him. I, I, now I feel bad. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that scene. He doesn't say anything. He's no, just I have to there. see him. But there is one. Um, this episode is entirely creepy. But how bad would this beamed out of their clothes scene have been on Enterprise? Oh man! Well, we definitely would have got silhouette or something. We would have got like a upper butt crack or side boob. Or I I imagine for sure that we would have seen. Uh, both of whichever two women it was uh, with hand, hand bras. bras. Yeah, 100%. We, we saw they made poor Hoshi do that. And so. I think we would have seen partial butt crack. That's all I'm saying. Uh, butt crack, probably as much butt crack as they were allowed. Mm-hmm. So Thanks, frankly, NYPD was, Blue, for opening up the whole butt crack box. Frankly, it was honestly pretty tasteful. I think they showed exactly enough just so that you knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about it and it was done. They didn't make a spectacle of it. It's an unnecessary scene, but at least the cinematography wasn't abusive. Okay, good. Uh, uh, Loxana Troy tells Deanna that Tog's given her an absolutely revolting dress to wear. I thought it looked like it could have come right out of the JCPenney Loxana Troy collection. <laughs> That's right. Like, it looked like a dress she would for sure wear. When has she not worn a revolting dress? Right. Uh, she does some of the least credible seduction imaginable. Like, she... She is so not into it with Tog. She does a lot of making faces right there. He he must have a real bad read on humans because between that and Picard's very bad acting about getting Luxana back at the end, he falls for two performances that a human would not have fallen for. Yeah. Riker's um, vacation shoes. <laughs> They're like... He's wearing like uh, black loafers with black socks and there's some... Some wear on the soles. Are these just some shoes that Frakes brought? I think so. <laughs> yeah, cool. they didn't have. Uh, they didn't think ahead on that one, did they? They probably never thought they'd see the bottom of his feet. Uh, Tog tells Waxana Troy that it's called Umox, and there's no translation for it. Yeah. Uh, but you and I thought of different translations for it because you wrote lobe job. Yes. And I wrote ear job. Oh, good. All right, we're on the same page. Yeah. So. <laughs> pretty easy yeah i don't know why he says that that's a lie he's trying to make why it sound does, mystical or something exactly why does ferrick put on graduation robes <laughs> to do his mind torture um do you think in the end of the confrontation picard calls tog's ship the crator as a power move <laughs> or is it just a patrick stew slip up it's a hundred percent of pets too <laughs> okay because we know he's prone to those but also <laughs> Could he be saying he's going to leave the ship a crater? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a way where you can work that slip up into the universe, but he definitely says and the crater. Picard would definitely want to convince you it was one of those one of those things. But we know he's just slipping. Uh, and then, do you think Tog is really afraid, or at that point is he just sick of being acted at and gives her back up? Like, I can't take any more of this Shakespeare. I can't keep acting like I'm scared. Yeah. And not just, just caught. Just give her back. Yeah. And then finally, when they find out where the Kraton is, Krator. Enterprise Enterprise chases them at warp eight. Yeah. That is entirely so Picard can make his joke about going to warp nine to return Loxana Troy. <laughs> he had that one in his mind. 
I mean, oh, you know what I'll do is I'll go at warp eight so that when I get her back, I can go, let's get back at warp nine. There's no other excuse, right? Like they say that uh, Tog's ship is almost as fast as Enterprise, and that's why they can't just do a search and they need Wrecker's clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, they know that from their last encounter with the Ferengi. But rather than go at full speed to get her back, they go at warp eight. And I said, why only warp eight in my mind? And I, my assumption was that's because the writers never think about that. Yeah. But then at the then end, he when quit. he says warp nine to take her back, I was like, ah, that's why they did warp eight earlier. <laughs> Set they it, they had it up for the joke. They had it warp nine, and then they had to go back and rewrite it when they wrote that great joke. Right. Uh, best actor, I gave it to Picard on this one. And worst actor is going to be poor uh, Luoxana Troy. Well, you know, she's not much better than she was on TOS. Well, it was another long one. Sorry, everybody. Uh, what do the yep. numbers say on this piece? Uh, the numbers on this one are interesting. In last place, but with a relatively okay last place score of 24 points, TOS, the Mark of Gideon. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad for last. One point better. Really sabotaged by me no-taking it. Yes, we are 13 apart on this, which is our new record. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, would be enough to tie it for first. And then we'd have to appeal to oh, Ben if you to had watch them both and tell us if I had yeah. if I had scored at that thirteen point difference. Yeah, but I, I didn't. So with uh, twenty five points, fourth place this week, TNG Menage a Troy. Mm-hmm. At twenty nine points in third place, Voyager Nemesis. In second place for the second week in a row, Enterprise the Forgotten. Yeah, last week they only had 28 and finished second place. At least they at least they got to above average this week. Yeah, they picked up 34 this week, so that's not too bad. Yeah. And the winner with 38 points, Deep Space 9, the adversary. We haven't had a 40-point episode in the last 3 episodes of this, last 3 weeks of this. No, as you said it's filler season. Yeah. This was the Deep Space 9 season 3 finale. And it did win. Voyager is the only season in Four. It's the only, uh, it's the only show four. in season four, yeah. but there there are a few episodes in which is also often filler season. Well, this one was <laughs> right. Yeah. So well, we're getting to the we're getting to the war stuff next week in DS Nine. So there's like right. we've crossed a, a line there. We start season four. We are so close. Two more season three TNG episodes, and then we're in season four there. I mean, the season three finale is what we're shooting for there. So right. we have one filler, and then the season three finale. Right, so uh, Deep Space Nine gets its 21st win. Not bad. It's uh, five behind TNG, four ahead of original series. Mm-hmm. Voyager still at five. Been a long time since they... I'm sorry, Enterprise two. still at five. Yeah. Long time since they claimed one. Voyager still at two. Very long time since they claimed one. They've been shit for a very long time. <laughs> it's been pretty rough. And next week, we will watch... That which survives. Do you remember which one that is? I do not. I do not either. Transfigurations. I know which one that is. Possibly a metaphor about coming out as gay, Ooh. but also Dr. Crusher falls in love with this guy, oh. so who knows? Yeah, that's, that's mixed messaging there. We'll see what it is. Yeah. It's another one of those humans and people like humans are like just so close to being gods episodes. Yes. <laughs> The Way of the Warrior, yeah. part one and two next week. we got to watch a double episode with the other yeah. four episodes. Fuck. It, was pre- it was presented as one two-hour episode, 
and it's still one two hour episode on netflix and that's what we're watching it might not be bad it's got wharf it's got klingons maybe yep but it does mean we have to watch an extra 40 minutes of tv all right well what's the big deal we're already doing 900 hours of this a uh, voyager revulsion that's how i feel when i watch voyager it's it, the joke is too easy now that i've said it i don't have to say it next week and depressingly yeah. rather than being the council no next week's enterprise is e squared that makes me very worried because we're supposed to meet some bad guys in a nebula yeah. what's that gotta do with i gave you guys a way to make it to the council on time anyway look out for these dudes at the nebula but then what's that gotta do with e squared makes me think there's gonna be a time travel enterprise or something or Oh, it does seem like two there should be two fucking enterprises, like, doesn't it? What's going to happen in that nebula? <sighs> Watch to find out, or join us again in two weeks when we discuss these episodes. Next week's a mailbag. Um, send us mail. Probably some more flag stuff, too. Yeah, we ain't anywhere close done with that, so more flag stuff. Uh, send us mail. It's at BrotherDate on Twitter, brothers at brotherdate.com if you want to email us anything. Um uh, you can find us on the iTunes. You can find us at brotherdate.com. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, SoundHound, for sure. <laughs> if you're just hearing some people talking in a room. Yeah, just SoundHound it. See if they know what we SoundHound it. See if it comes up as us. It might be us. You never know. Um, yeah, and then we'll do this again next week. And, um, and then in two weeks, we'll do more Star Trek. And then we'll try not to go three and a half hours again. So thanks, everybody. Uh, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. Uh, so as you believe, so shall you do. He Chief often, O'Brien made me turn my hand into a fork. It's <laughs> true. It's probably is how he ate it. Chief O'Brien made me turn into a fork. <laughs> I, my whole body turned into a fork so he could he eat. He kept with putting me. me into his mouth like it was nothing. <laughs>